squeeze it there. Broadhurst down, Bound still pumping punches into it. That's will be a miracle! Oh, it is a miracle! Play continues. They could sidestep on a trip and he went this line. Good one. A smack that bottom. 40-20. It's a 40-20, it's there. Hits the crossbar. You won't see anything like that again this year, and maybe never. Digging up dead football, it's the Rugby League Cemetery. It does not get any better than that. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery, and we are back from an extended hiatus over creative differences. Uh, we've managed to put those things aside, and much like you know Simon and Garfunkel, we've come back together for the fans and for the money, and it's very good to have you with us. Uh, on a new season of the Rugby League Cemetery, we're looking today at August the 19th, 1996, round 20 of the 1996 ARL, Western Suburbs 23, North Sydney 22, in front of 13,186 fanatics at Campbelltown Stadium. Gazzy, uh, it's it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, it's good that we've been able to bury the hatchet. Can you give me your very high-level thoughts on this wonderful, wonderful game? Great to see you again, Morgie. Uh, I haven't spoken to you, obviously, since the last pod, so I hope yeah. you've been well. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I, I hope all is well. Absolutely fantastic to be back. Big, fat new deal, big, fat new season, and what a game to kick it off with. The Mighty Magpies um, getting it done. The first game that we have done, I think, where the Bears have come in uh, and not has the underdogs in the game. Um, but a familiar result, unfortunately, compared to a lot of our best games. And we do apologise again, Bears yeah, fans. Um, but this was a very good, very good season um, for the Bears, and they went into this one as uh, I would have thought pretty strong favourites over over the underdogs, which is a very different set of circumstances for you and I. Indeed, indeed, you, you're right about that. And uh, it, it, if you, if people aren't totally clear on what game this is. Um, first of all, I, I pity you and I encourage you to go onto our Facebook page and watch it um, where we've put, we put the link up yesterday. And I've got to tell you, it's a ride. Uh, but this is the famous game, West, Western Suburbs late in the season, pushing for the finals against all expectations, uh, find themselves scores level with the third-place Bears with 45 seconds to go. And Andrew Willis catches the ball in his own half on last tackle, takes two steps and bangs over a field goal from 48 metres out uh, with the obligatory kind of dispute about whether it had gone over or under in the commentary box. Uh, and the crowd goes wild and ends up running on the field and West end up making the finals uh, for the last time as the as the fully-fledged Western Suburbs Magpies. I might give you a bit of context on this game, Gazzy, if you'll indulge me. Uh, I will. Thank you, very charitable. Uh, this was, as I say, the last time Wests ever made the finals as Wests. Um, and in fairness, they've only made it, I think, three times as the joint venture. So, um, which puts this in a little bit more context, I suppose. Um, they, of course, made the semis under the walk in 91 and 92. Before that, they hadn't made it since 82. And uh, since 92, they'd gone 13th, 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 um, which gives you some idea of, of how they were travelling. Uh, Tommy Radonikus had taken over in 1995. Um, and they, you know, this this was, I mean, you've you got to remember as well that the commercialisation of rugby league and rationalisation and money had been stalking Wests for a long time and, and they really were the first club to get stalked like this by the growing commercialism of the game and they were one of the first clubs to really be left behind by that in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Even in the, you can go back to the late 70s when they started losing players to Italy and all this the New South Wales Rugby League tries to kick them out in the early 80s um, and then 
they, they're, they're on the bones of their backside by the late 80s and somehow make these couple of finals under Wok. But by 1996, it, 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 like this is the end game. This is, this is supposed to be, they're supposed to be dying out and the league have kind of left them, um, left them bleeding on the plains to, to die. And somehow they mount this this remarkable recovery in 1996 mm. to be a competitive team again and, and make the semi-finals. Um, that's I think what it, makes this game so and this game and this whole season so remarkable. Absolutely, yeah, it, it's one of the great achievements. It's up there, and I mean, arguably, I think done in a full comp is, is arguably a bigger achievement than the Economides miracle of the Chargers because they didn't have to play, they didn't have to get round up any of the Super League teams. Yeah. Um, th- this team, I mean, you look through it, and I, I mean this with all due respect, I really don't mean this, but this is not a good side on paper. I mean, I know quite a lot about rugby league and I don't recognise half the names in there. And the ones that I do recognise, I, I remember West players thinking of fondly, but a lot of them didn't play representative football. There's not a lot of guys who played, played rep football. Um, you look at the table and you look who didn't make the finals. And I mean, Newcastle, they, they finished two points ahead of Newcastle who came ninth. Now, you know, do you think West would have swapped a squad if they could said, hey, do you want to swap your squad? And you can have the Johns brothers, Robbie O'Davis, um, you know, uh, Paul Harrigan, um, Adam Muir, these sorts of guys. Mm. Um, you know, th- the swap would have been very quick. Canterbury finished 10th. Um, Canterbury had won the comp. I mean, um, Lamb had just come had come back for a final tilt after initially retiring. They had, you know, um, a very strong side of players. If you go through some of the guys that Canterbury had, I mean, they had a lot of their grand final squad, not all of them, but they had quite a lot of them um, running around. There's a lot of good players in there. Auckland finished 11th. Um, you know, young Stacey sort of sort of era. A lot of lot of very good players in there that went on to have good careers a couple of years later with New Zealand. Um, it, it's really you know, to, and even going lower than that, you look at Penrith finishing fifteenth with the bones of a side that became very good in a couple of years. A lot of young players in there that went on to do something. Their squad, West haven't got a better squad than any of those players, any of those teams at all. Like on, no. on, on man-to-man player, you would not swap any of those squads for the Western Suburbs side. So they're surviving on. They've got no facilities. Um, very little in the way of, of, of the sort of the things that are starting to go with the game in terms of gyms and sports science and all these things for the players. Um, there's a, a point in the game where Rabs talks about how Norths have stayed in a motel the night before the game to come out and play West and stuff. That wouldn't have been an option for the Magpies if this was out in some other location. Like they, they, they didn't have the money even for that sort of thing. So, you, you know, you go, they were just being left behind, as you said, in, in a lot of ways. And to do this, and not only to do it, but to do it without the players to really warrant doing it is just a remarkable achievement by by Tommy in particular to have coached this group of players to that result. Um, they had a very aging Coleman come in and play halfback, and he's gone for the year by around sixteen and play again. So they're not even they're doing it not even with the best squad they could have had that year. It, it, I think I've said before we don't celebrate teams enough that don't win the comp. We don't celebrate the achievement of making a grand final or making it to the finals when you shouldn't. But doing something your squad doesn't justify you doing if you like and this is one that should be right up there with the great achievements that have happened in our lifetimes because there's nothing to warrant it whatsoever no, that, you, you're <laughs> so right no you are you're right and 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 tommy you know it, it must have been a great feat of uh, motivation at the very least mm. to, to get these players to where they got because you look at them in this game and mm. it's very clear that norths are better than them that they've got better players like North, norths in the mid 90s are a really good side they've got a lot of state of origin players yeah. a lot of class and um, it's very clear that, that that they're outclassing West, but West don't go away. They just stick with them, stick with them, stay alive, um, keep pegging them back uh, and end up finding something at the end to get them home. But 
it's it's a it's a great feat of they, they were they were clearly so up for it and so keen and and worked so hard to get themselves into the into the semis. Well, it's interesting what you say there. The the North side is another reflection of that when you talk about them starting to be left behind. The North star player and the one that is uh, early in the game looks like he's going to completely keep West out of it is, of course, West's very own Jason Taylor, who debuted at West, and their last little run under the walk has a bit to do with Jason Taylor, and, and sort of he gets a big money offer from the Bears that you can't say no to. So it's another way that, again, that West sort of bring a guy through and maybe they're going to have a few good years, but he's off and they're playing a young bloke from reserve grade on, on Debu who goes on to play five first grade games, whereas they, you know, feasibly in another world where they, they, they're able to compete financially have spent 15 years with Jason Taylor at halfback. And yeah. so they're, they're playing again. Not only do they not have Jason Taylor, you know, you're then playing against these guys that you can't keep. And I've spoken on a previous pod of all the guys that debuted there or played there when they were very young, like your Dimmicks, um, Sidaris, Terry Hills, these guys all played a lot of football when they were young there. So that they just weren't able to ever keep a team together or build any nucleus. It was like anyone that was any good just ended up somewhere Had else to go. in a year or two. Yeah, yeah that's right. And yeah. They, yeah, that's right. And and that's borne out a little bit. The, the strength of the squad uh, is borne out a little bit by the fact that after this season, and to give you an idea of what an outlier it is, they come 13th three times in a row before this year. After this, they come ninth in the... ARL, so that's ninth of 12, and then go 20th and win the wooden spoon in the NRL, mm. and then come 17th and win the wooden spoon in the in the NRL in 99, and then they merge. And I think in 99, yeah. it's one of the worst season records ever. Um, they, they, they win about, they barely win any games and, you know, get uh, take a lot of thrashings. That's either 98 or 99, I'm not sure. But um, and then they end up merging. So this is a real, uh, this is a real outlier in their late history, and and everything around it suggests that it shouldn't have been able to happen. Uh, yep. The other thing that suggests it shouldn't have been able to happen is that after round seventeen, they were tenth on the table, so they're two places out of the finals. And I mm-hmm. want to give you their run in. Um, yeah, you see a lot of uh, in 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 football now. You see a lot of coverage of teams running and who's going to make the eight and who's you know. Um, this is the this is the West running from round 17. Canterbury, last season's premiers. Canberra, best side of the era. Brisbane, the other best side of the era. Norths, yeah. who are coming third and have made a couple of prelims and, you know, a really strong side. Manly, who <laughs> went, yeah. I think, 17 undefeated the year before and ended up winning the comp. Uh, and Illawarra. So that's their run-in. Um, I dare say that after round 17, with them already being outside the outside the eight, you're probably saying, eh, I think it's going to, I think the Maggies are going to come up short. But they won four out of six of those, of those last games, uh, including a 20 to 16 win over Canterbury and a 24 to 16 win over Canberra. Uh, got themselves home over the Bears, got themselves home over Illawarra in the last round and made the finals. That's extraordinary. Oh, it absolutely is. It is. And the other thing um, overlooked a little bit about that, just as another guide. So they finished on 25 points. And for example, 7th had 27, 9th had 23, and then 10th and 11th and 12th have 22. Is that 7th, 9th and 11th all got forfeit points from the famous forfeit <laughs> yes. round where the Super Leagues didn't play round one and the Magpies didn't. So 
you know, the team exactly ahead of them had forfeit points. The Knights got a forfeit points in ninth and, and Auckland had forfeit points there. So they had it all stacked against them. So not only did they get in that situation, they were in this tight jam and behind the eight ball, as you said, and no way you'd have bet on them to make it. But the guy, the teams around them had also had this boost that yeah, they never got just getting free, yeah, free win, um, you know, that they may well, when you look at where they finished on the table, the free points teams, they're all seventh to... 13th so and, and all in the, the same crush, the crushers got a free win yeah so seventh to third, so none of the teams up the top of the table got that free boost so if seventh to 13th all got a free win it's arguable they probably were playing teams somewhere ahead of them or something like that yeah. so they, they got a free win they may well not have had so all these teams got, got this mad boost um around them they had this terrible run in that you'd never back them to make and somehow did it anyway um and you wonder why they were having to fight that hard to make it if they, you know, had to beat those teams at the end. They might have beaten some of the easy teams earlier. But, yeah, well, that's right. They um, never won. They yeah. never won more than two in a row in the whole season, yeah. and never lost. Yeah. They never lost more than two in a row. They just they just mm. battled along and won yeah. their share of the games and got themselves in. They were helped enormously by Newcastle going seven games winless from rounds thirteen <laughs> to nineteen. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> six losses and a draw uh, in mm. the middle part of the season for the Knights. Uh, that was a great help. Now, just a, a little bit on Norths. Um, this is, I think, most people would agree, um, and and you know, listeners and friends of the show. If you if you don't agree, I'm sure you know. By all means, uh, get in touch, Alex Clark. I'm I'm looking at you, but I would ha- you would have to say that this is uh, the Bears' best era since well, certainly since the early fifties, um, and possibly really, I mean, probably their best era since the two premierships in the nineteen twenties. I mean, they in in yep. these in these years they go. Prelim in '94, uh, qualifying final '95, prelim in '96, prelim in '97. Um, as heartbreaking as all of that is, and you know no, they might not reflect on it as a great period, but statistically and, and performance-wise, this is probably the best team they've mm. had for maybe yep. maybe six or seven decades. Um, and they they then make the finals again in '98. Um, Peter Louis had been coached since '93. Of course, as you mentioned, Jason Taylor had joined from West in '94. And they've been able to build a side really around him. Um, they were really strong in '96. They only finished two points off Manly, uh, sorry, two wins off Manly in first place, um, and had beaten a lot of the good sides. You know, they beat Manly in round three. They beat St George, who ended up making the grand final, forty-two nil. Uh, they'd beaten Brisbane throughout the year. Um, they, they, this this was the this was a fair income Bears side. Uh, another curiosity about their season is that they had two draws in a row in round 16 and 17, 14 all against Newcastle and 15 all against Cronulla. Yeah, it, uh, it's funny. That this comes up in the coverage where Fatty or Stur- one of them starts suggesting they've had trouble icing close games and they'd like won a game by two and had two draws. Like, And it was like, I don't know that that's, that's really <laughs> like, yeah, a draw is not, not icing the game, right? Like, it's, yeah. But um, yeah, it was interesting. Now, now I'll put it, I'm happy again for Bears fans to disagree, but not only was this their best error, this was their best season, in my opinion, in terms of if you look at 94, I think um, I don't think anyone begrudges the fact that they went out when they did. Um, yep. And if you look at '97, I'd say that was even money with Newcastle. Like there was probably no one thought that was shocking that they went out, and if they had a one, that wouldn't have been shocking. Um, so you know it's disappointing, but it is what it is. This year they're right up the top the whole way. Um, St George finished seventh, and they'd been beaten forty-two nil by North um, during the season, and that was. If you're going to pinpoint one where you'd actually go, oh, 
you, they actually you could actually call them out for stuffing this up and maybe choking that this is probably the one. Like if you look, this was a really strong year, a really good team. They finished right up the top. They got right near the end and had, a, a, you know, played the team that had come seventh who they'd belted. This is the one they should have made the grand final win. Whether they would have beat Manly or not, that's another question, but they certainly had every chance to. This This is the year that they were really very much up there with the best teams and probably should have been in the grand final and, and, and capitalised. This was the real missed one. Yeah, that's probably right. The the other thing to note about this is that um, the, there is a bit of a gap, not unlike the season that we've just seen. I mean, and you see a bit of this in the mid-90s, there is a, a reasonable gap between the very top sides and even the sides at the bottom of the finals places. Yep. Um, and it's worth noting yep. that North's having finished third with 32 points, had a, a points difference of plus 273. Uh, and Wests, having finished eighth on 25 points, had a points difference of minus 40 yeah, um, yeah. And, and scored. They scored 204 points fewer than North and conceded 100 more. Um, mm. And that, that probably gives you some idea about the the gap that was starting to emerge between those rich clubs at the top and, uh, and the clubs who were battling for the scraps of the last few places in the finals. Um, mm. The other thing about... Uh, about West season that people do forget a little bit is that, you know, I think there's a bit of a, a narrative about this year that, you know, they, they did really well to make it, but that was as far as they were ever going to go. Um, mm. They led 12-2 in the final against Cronulla in the first week yeah. of the semis. And Very good side, Cronulla too. Yeah, 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 yeah. a really good and Like with 25 minutes to go, they were in front 12-2. Mm. It, it, it ended up 20-12, to 12, but Cronulla mm. only took the lead with six minutes to go. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and it got it to 12-all and Matt Rogers kicked a sideline conversion with six minutes to go to kick them in front. And mm. uh, and Paul Green scored like with 40 seconds left or something to buff out the lead. But like they yeah. they were, they didn't just compete. Like they were in a winning position in the first week of the finals against a really good Cronulla team uh, and yeah. couldn't quite get themselves home. But uh, this is not, yeah, you, we, we shouldn't think of Wests as uh, as a as a novelty kind of in the finals or a, or a you know, a team that were just happy to be there. They they had a real crack at it when they got there. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, a couple of things about <laughs> turning this on and, and, and watching this game. Uh, it was this is a Monday night game. This is the great kind of nineteen ninety six mm. Monday night football experiment. Um, wonderful, wonderful atmosphere at the ground, uh, and straight away you turn it on. And it just it just felt like home to me. You know, like the, the all the people in the crowd with the big flags throwing up the ticker tape, you know? Yeah. I, I, you yeah. know my views on this. I love the shredded paper getting thrown up in the air at Sydney football games. <laughs> um, it's one of my favourite things. I don't know why. It, it seems to be going out of style a little bit, and I don't know why. Um, people need mm. to bring it back. I know it might not be the most environmentally friendly thing to do, to just start throwing paper into the sky, but um, worth it, it. Yeah. it is worth it for the atmosphere that it creates. It, it's, it, it, has a certain, uh, it has a certain resonance, I think, uh, and also the the dream commentary team of uh, Rabbits, Sturlo, uh, the fat man, and uh, and Blocker on the sideline. Um, it sort of gets made better, does it? Ah, oh, no, of course it doesn't. Um, I, that made me feel very at home as well. Um, it did raise me. I, I wrote this question in my notes. It just said, 
it really just made me sit back. And I know we've done old games before, but I just thought, <laughs> why is Rab still on air now? Like, you really need to put together <laughs> that this is 1996 and that Ray Warren is still the primary caller of big matches. 25 20... years later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it, that's, he's just been doing this for so... I mean, he hasn't been good for a long time, but all of that aside, he's still on air now? Like, yeah. he's still doing this job. And it's quite incredible. Um, he's I, sensational yeah, I think... in this game. This is, yeah, yeah. you know, like, he, this is he when he's in his, in his yep. prime. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He keeps doing that wonderful thing where he uses his tone to elongate and, and lift the players. That uh, He uses this lifting tone of the player's name when something happens. So someone goes through a half got, half gap and it's Kennedy and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The whole at the right moment and just um, lifts the game. But he had a wonderful yeah, sense got, of a wonderful sense of yeah. timing of, of what what's important. Yeah, what needed you know, to be whipped up. What, and, what was and, a big and, thing yeah. and what wasn't. Yeah. Yep. Um, my pregame thoughts, a couple as well. I thought the crowd I wanted to mention as well. Now, one thing that made me feel very at home and, and, and brought back a lot of fond memories for me too was compared to a modern crowd, it was the amount of jeering that was in the crowd. Like they're very civilized middle classians these days attending games, but like, like everyone in this crowd, like there was just a lot of um, ill tempered and like ill feeling and jeering. Like, like we all set up the ball, stuff was happening and there's a genuine rumble of jeering and dissent <laughs> coming through. Like everyone's muttering an aggressive um, sort of tone to it that you only, I believe only got at Sydney games. Um, and yeah. like, you still get a little bit of Leichhardt now. And um, if you go, go to Cogra on the hill, you can get it a little bit often at the dragons at yeah. But, uh, often at their own team but you, you, you know what I mean like you get to these sort of grounds and these feral Sydney fans are all really ch- yeah. <laughs> it's, like it's wonderful there's, of a, there's a sense of hostility, hostility. like yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, yeah and the other yeah, thing we've talked about this a little bit in in respect of Newcastle games but also mm. the amount of people in the crowd wearing flannelette and blue jeans yep. you know and that what you what you say about the, the, the middle class and all, it's, it's very true that the those people now have those are the people that in a lot of ways rugby league kind of cast aside when it went down the path of super league and then the nrl because Mm. all of a sudden the tickets became so much more expensive and you 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 know foxtel subscription was so important to be able to watch your team and all this and it became so much more of an expensive um Mm. exercise to go and watch football um and you you know you've got to buy your tickets in advance a lot of the time and all these things Mm. Um, and and a lot of those people who were in the crowd at Campbelltown that night and who you used to see in the 90s at, at um, Marathon Stadium and all those sort of places, they kind of they kind of get locked out a little bit now and they're not really the people that they're not really the people that I, I think the league imagines as their ideal mm. supporters and the people that they're really courting. Um, but yeah. I think that's very sad because I, I, th- those are ultimately the people without whom the game wouldn't exist and they're the ones who whatever happens we'll go and watch their team and we'll watch Friday night football and we'll always be there for rugby league. Yeah, I agree. I think it's become very much for better or worse entertainment and about trying to put on an entertaining product that a lot of people want to watch. But what it used to be about was that people from the Western suburbs as families and as people went to watch West, like these people, no matter what was happening in the world, went with their wife and kids or their best mate or whoever it was went to watch West and that's just what they did and it wouldn't matter whether West were coming 20th or first or anywhere in between or what was happening with the competition or what you called it or what was going on in the world they go to watch West on the weekend and people that lived in Newcastle went to watch the Knights and people you know in Balmain whatever was happening 
win, lose or draw, those people went to watch Balmain. And it's become very much now more of a form of entertainment and the team has to be going well and you try and get these middle-class people who might also go watch the basketball if the Kings are going well or watch the Swans or whatever. You want to get them watching the West Tigers or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, back then it, it was a bit different and there wasn't as many of them. Um, you know, certainly the numbers have, have gone up these days, but they were – I had a lot going for it. And it was, a, it was my yeah. favourite time in the game and, um, you know, I, I do – there's good things about today's game as well. I don't want to put it all negative, but yeah. we did lose something when when these people went. We we did all we did all lose something compared to the atmosphere in the field and just the people that were there in the nineties. It was different, and it was I enjoyed it a lot. Mm. No, I agree. It's um yeah, it's just something that you really notice when you watch games from that era, especially mm. um especially games um, mm. yeah, especially games in Sydney. That's yep. right. Um, it, it Rabs announces this as well. He does two curious things. As they run on, um, yeah. he, he he announces them as the Gold Star Magpies when they run on. Yeah, the I noticed field. that, and he does yeah. it. He does it again at halftime. Um, I thought that was curious, um, and also he says, and this is going to the point about setting the time, setting the atmosphere, and getting yeah. things right. This is their grand final. He says they need to win two of their last three games to make the semis, and of course they'll play Manly next week. So really. They needed to yeah. win this game, uh, and he that, that that really they ran out onto the field in front of this wild Campbelltown crowd. Mm. This is their grand final. It was just beautiful, you know, yeah. with the right time by the Hoodoo Gurus blaring in the yeah. background over the stadium PA. That is that is theatre. You want entertainment? You want entertainment squared? Thank you very much, David Smith. That's it. Ticket tape paper thrown in the air yeah. at the right time, playing over the PA. It is, isn't it? I, I found that very funny because he called it a must-win about ten times during the game, whilst then clarifying several times that they had to win two out of three. Which yeah. is, as far as I understand it, does they in fact not make it a must-win? But right. um, nonetheless, yeah, absolutely right. Um, I think the last thing on the pre-game that I wanted to mention was just how how good it was to see giant Optus Vision insignia across the field, <laughs> like the big Optus Vision logo, which Optus of course brings us. Yeah, which of course brings us to the greatest grand final entertainment of all time, um, <laughs> naturally. But just we yeah. can do our own episode on the Optus Vision incident Optus one day. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just there's a time in sport, um, you know, and that you know everyone wants to talk red in goals, but I want yeah. to talk in the wind. But I want to talk op- giant Optus Vision. They also, the field. <laughs> yeah, they also the ground announcer does this whole thing during the game about like trying to sell Optus subscriptions, but he does this thing about. See the yeah. best live sport on Optus Vision, you know, a new force Ooh. in subscription television. It's all this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just a shame there was no ARL must run the game across the well, field. <laughs> like they, they didn't know it when the two Super League teams had played. Yeah, the yeah they, should have, they yeah. should have written 100 nil win across the, you know. Yes. It's yes, really, just really stuck at the rebar. Yeah. 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 Um, that's right. I tell you what, I, that would have got me. I reckon. I, I think the Optus Vision mm. TV exploding would have been enough for me to buy a subscription. I, much, it was a much Absolutely. more effective yeah. campaign than, you know, Melinda Gates for Taylor and Tim May running out of a giant television. Um, effective, it says effective, doesn't it? Yeah. effective as that was, um, yeah. it's still hitting yeah. a, hitting an area. Um, I suppose we should talk about the or, or get into the weeds of the game a little bit. Um, yeah, I might read out the teams quickly. Well, before mm. we do that, uh, the West side is as follows: fullback Andrew Leeds. Wingers Darren Willis and Kevin McGuinness. Uh, we've got two Willises and two McGuinnesses in this Western Suburbs side. Centres Asiri Lang and Brandon Coston, who at the time was known as Brandon Pearson. I don't quite know what went on there. It's a bit of a Yusuf Johanna situation. It is, um, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know what his stats were like pre and post name change. 
But mm. uh, and Aziri Lang, who uh, <laughs> who um, Rams announces midway through the game, has been working eight-hour shifts at the Ingham's Chicken Factory. Um, well, that's another one for that. that Warren, yeah. just to, to pause you, the mention of what you talked about earlier about um, sort of where we are in the game and West being left behind a little bit. Um, five years earlier, that perhaps would have happened now and then. Um, but at this point of the game, with the Super League money running around, in fact, the fact that the Magpies are playing people that have to work in the chicken factory every day to make a crust after the money that's just been pumped around yeah. the year before in the Super League dollars and, you know, like people are getting $200,000 sign-on bonuses and six $700,000. That just shows you a bit about Wes and where they are and how left out of that picture they've Absolutely. actually been. Absolutely you know? right. That's, um, this is their starting first grade team. They made the finals in a season when everyone is on ARL or Super League war dollars. You know, like yeah. everyone's just been pumped full of money um, no. after the 95 explosion. You're talking million dollar deals and stuff and guys that are nearly retired getting just wild money that mm. is going to set them up for life, you know, at 36 about, getting a 200 grand deal. It's mad. Think about Brad Fittler saying that James Packer had any chances of money for a yep. drink and getting 25 grand in, extra on yeah, top of yeah, what he'd already, yeah. you know, like, and, and you've got a Zuri Lane yeah. plant running around yeah. on the weekends and working at the chicken plant. Um, it's astonishing. Yeah. Um, it's, sorry, yeah, I, it just, yeah. yeah. It had uh, to be mentioned, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 5 eighth is Andrew Willis, who, of course, kicks the 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 – the, the winning field goal. Can I suggest, mm. and I, I don't want to get into the crosshairs of the Vatican here, um, mm. but that is to me, it, I, I think Andrew Willis, this is evidence of one confirmed rugby league miracle. Um, yeah. And, uh, and if, if we can, if we can track down another one, uh, mm. I think we're getting into Mary McKillop territory uh, and the possi- possibility of canonization. Uh, I, yeah. you know, and if you don't believe me, I mean, get onto the Vatican about that. I, I know that, uh, I know that Pope mm. Francis is taking a very keen interest in the Andrew Willis matter. Uh, <laughs> See, the halfback is uh, Willie Newton. Uh, I hadn't mm. heard of Willie Newton. And as you say, he uh, this was his debut. Um, mm. No pressure, young man. Uh, he, played, he only played five first-grade games. He played, I think, mm. three in 96 and two in 97, and, and that was the yep. extent of his first-grade career. But he'll always have this. Mm. Uh, the forward pack, front row Harvey Howard of the UK, uh, mm. front row just, and Justin Dooley. Uh, Can I give you a quick one on Harvey Howard? By all means. Okay, so I found this and I thought you'd be interested in this. As far as I'm aware, this becomes the second player to have played for the Magpies, to played for the worst Magpie side ever in 98-99, I forget which, and the final Magpie side in 99, and to win a comp with the Brisbane Broncos. <laughs> who's That's the, now two. Who's Perry. The, who's- Who's the other? Oh, yes. Very yeah, good. Really good Much later. Uh, so yeah. Is, yeah, so there's a real something to be said from recruiting, picking the eyes out of the 98, 99 magpies. <laughs> a fair bit going for it. So, yeah, this is the, the second Western Mags, wow. magpies player from generally considered the worst NRL side ever to win a competition with the Brisbane Broncos post Wow, that's that's yeah. wonderful knowledge. Fair yeah, this, yeah. this is fantastic. Um, mm. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> now, the hooker for the West side, uh, Steve Georgialis, uh, filling yeah. in for uh, Shiriako Mesher. It's good to see that he was doing the caretaker role even before he'd stopped playing. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Caretaker slash interim hooker uh, later went on to be caretaker interim coach. How many clubs? Two? 
Yeah, at least two. Uh, wonderful player. Yeah, wonderful player, George Charles, by the way. But if you look through, you can use, uh, if people aren't on the Rugby League project, you definitely should be. And you can see position. You can go to the year and see who played what position every round. And if you do that over multiple seasons of George Charles, you'll just see how versatile he actually was because there's not a season where it says one position. It's just like five, eight, halfback, hook, I'll lock forward, like yeah. whatever, just meshed all well, year. He's playing halfback a few weeks later after this. Like he just, yeah. wherever there was a gap, this bloke just got in and ripped in. He's quite Very useful player. at hooker as well. He doesn't um, he yeah. doesn't miss any tackles, doesn't let anyone down. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the second row, Bill Dunn and Damian Kennedy, uh, and the lock, Paul Langmack, who was also the captain. I dare say we'll have more to say about him later on. All yes. I'll say at the moment is take a look at me. I'm yesterday's hero. Uh, and the bench, Ken McGuinness, Darren Capavilla, Nathan Lakeman and Paul Bell, and the coach, of course, the the great Tommy Radonikus. Hmm. Uh, the The... Bears side is the is the fairly standard Bears side of this era. You, you will know most of yeah. these names, and you know you could almost most people would almost be able to rattle this team off. Uh, fullback Matt Sears, wings Brett Dallas, and uh, David Hall. God, we've watched a lot of games with David Hall in them, haven't we? Yeah, I was approaching that, chicken territory. Yes, yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah, he is. Um, centers Ben Ben Eichen and Chris Caruana. The halves Michael Butner and Captain Jason Taylor, uh, who's wonderfully booed when he takes the first goal. Uh, yeah. Front rows, Gary Larson and Brenton Pomery. Gary Larson still, now we, we've watched 94 mm-hmm. preliminary final where he, he gets sent off. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now watching in 96, he's still running the long sleeves, the three-quarter sleeves. Yep, three-quarter sleeves. Yeah. Still the only Bears player to be doing it. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I call him the last person to do it all the time. There was, of course, a wonderful comeback by Chase Blair at yes. a few years ago, three-quartering in like skin-tight, like polyester um, material, but um, the, I'm called, I still think Gary Larson was the last person to do it every single week, um, and I respect him so much for it because I don't know what it was about him that made him want three quarter sleeves. Well, uh, and it does I, raise the question no of whether yeah, it raises the question of whether he had to get them specially made or whether they were cutting them off. Yeah. All of the other jerseys were three quarters, and people were and and the club had to cut them all off. I, I yeah. I think you cater for Larson first, um, everyone else second. <laughs> so I'd like to th- I'd like to think they were cutting everyone else's off. Yeah. I think that's probably right. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, the hooker Mark Soden uh, for North Sydney, uh, and then a, a a beautiful, iconic North's back row of Greg Florimo, David Fairley, and Billy Moore. Uh, mm. And then a wonderful bench as well. It's just for like Nigel Roy uh, is on the bench, but so are Josh Stewart, Danny Williams, and Craig Wilson. There's a re- yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, re- a violent bench. There's a, re- <laughs> a real sense of like just bring on and calm the game down with that 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 trio. Yeah. Like just get yeah. cool heads, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and and there is a. a Superb Josh Stewart incident, which we'll come to later oh, on. I think we'll yeah we'll cover that. Yeah, um, Peter Louis, suppose, of course, the coach of North Sydney. Mm, I suppose on the game before we go blow by blow, you've probably covered it already. I think it's a classic um, underdog battler sort of contest, as you said, where the West just stay close enough, close enough. Um, there's a sin binning in the game. We'll get to, and West managed to actually like have North score why that happens. So <laughs> it's very rare that you win a close game where you concede points when the other team has 12 players, but they sort of just hang in there, hang in there. There's very little class. A lot of the time there's a certain player injects some class in the second half, but a lot of the time they look a class behind North, but just won't go away and are very enthusiastic. Um, but I, I suppose just before we get into the bolts, I just wanted to think, and we may get to some of these incidents, but not only were they sort of battling North being a bit better, I think, I just want to point out how many things actually went against 
Wes in the first 15 minutes of this game and whether <laughs> you and I have been to a lot of rugby league games as mm. fans might think that you weren't going to have your day here. Because we've got to yeah. win. We're playing against North Sydney or third and whatever, and we, we've got to win this. Is it going to pay off? So in the first 15 minutes, the underdogs, right, Firstly, Norths make a break off the initial kickoff. Like there was a genuine like line break. I've never seen this. Did, this is this is mm. the bloke who catches the kickoff running, just yes. just yep. tearing through. So Soden, it is yep. catches mm. the kickoff and just runs through them, puts on a little bit of a step, and ends up on the halfway mm. line. And you do incredible values. The hooker doesn't pass to anyone off the kickoff; yeah. it just runs it like it's the hooker. <laughs> you don't see that much. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. But there is a real um, sense of to mm, know about this. At, you know, it's when not, that a, not a great start. No. Um, so we're still in the first 15 minutes. Uh, that's off the kickoff. The Bears then, after the Magpies get, Magpies get their first points, the Bears hit the crossbar with the kickoff and regather the ball. Now, they do eventually drop it. But, like, again, so you've had a break off the initial kickoff. You've then scored your own points a little bit into the game, and North have managed to hit the crossbar with the kickoff and regather it. Honestly, isn't it? Yeah, you might say that's not really uh, looking like it's our day. Then McInnes goes off with a with a back injury with, like, of some kind, which is unhelpful as mm. one of their primary strike weapons. And then still, keep in mind, we're still in the first 15 minutes. They then lose a scrum against the <laughs> So to, to, to recap, a game that they go on to win, break off the initial kickoff, uh, a regathered kickoff off the crossbar goes against them. They lose their centre and they lose a scrum against the feed all in the first 15 minutes. I just think at this point, you're just thinking, I just don't know that this is going to pan out. Like you wouldn't yeah. say that they're sort of getting the bounce of the ball, so to speak. Um, no, that's right. And and there yeah. is a bit of that. I I thought I did think early, if you were at this game as a West fan, mm. um, you would just be, you'd, you'd have a sense of, a, a sense of foreboding about what was happening just, early on. Yeah, oh, shit. yeah. yeah. This is um, not going how it was supposed to go. We're going to need, because it's like, yeah, West go in against luck. North yeah. and you think we're going to need some luck today. Yeah. And then all yeah. those things happen and you go, mm, once you start losing scrums against the head and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, um, I, I suppose while we're on the scrum, uh, the scrum against the head, I, I just like to really, I thought there was a really good Rabs moment in that because he really insists on calling it like, he keeps, he does this every scrum of talking about the loose head and feed and who's got the loose head and feed and how the yeah. scrum went against the loose head and feed. And that's really up there with his pendant for calling someone a centre three quarter, in my opinion, like yeah. madly adhering to old terms of the game. So most people just say West have got the scrum. Yeah, with the start of the game, um, you know, obviously to, to just drop back to this line break, um, if we're now <laughs> going to go, if you're happy to now go through the game. Absolutely. I, I think this is a real robbed of a moment here. Um, so we're going through the game, this is a line break because uh, this, uh, for those who don't, so what ends up happening is the big line break. They then have all the momentum, as you can imagine, and West concede a penalty and Jason Taylor has a pot at a penalty goal from 30 or 40 out. Um, all within the first minute. And he, he does miss it. And I just like to say, I think we're, what we're robbed here is if that would have been the earliest penalty goal, I think, in the history of rugby league. I don't think well, we will find an earlier penalty goal because if you think about the sequence of events that has to happen here, yeah. <laughs> for West to concede a penalty goal in the first minute is, firstly, <laughs> there has to basically be a line break off the kickoff, which is mm-hmm. fairly uncommon. Secondly, you have to not score off it. So you have to make the line break and not score. Then once you've not scored, the other team has to give you a penalty. And then after all that, in the first minute of the game, you have to think it's a good idea to go up 2-0 rather than <laughs> press the attack. Having like having made the line break off the kickoff, you might think you were kind of on. So 
like the sequence of events that has to happen for them to be down two nil within the first minute. I'm just I'm not sure that that will. Happen it, you're right. It is point. hard to imagine. It, it is. Yeah. It, they did need quite a few because it's only on second or third tackle that the penalty. Yeah, gets it's the game. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, they have to um, get down the other end within three tackles, concede a penalty after all of it, not have a try scored, and have the opposition for some reason want to be up two nil. Because Soden runs to about halfway, and the penalty, as you yep. say, is forty out. Um, yep. And unfortunately, Taylor doesn't get a particularly clean hit on it mm. and misses amongst loud and raucous boos uh, and mm. an extremely raucous cheer as the kick goes wide. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, that 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 goal also uh, allowed me to see one of my favourite oddities of mid nineties rugby league, which is the in goal touch judge in the mm. tracksuit. Uh, which I'm going to say, you got it. Yeah, if I could only bring one thing back, like. I don't know what they did. I don't know if they ever made a decision. I don't know if they ever contributed to a correct decision being made. I've got no insight into that. But, God, it's very good. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm glad you had the note about the tracksuit. That was right up the top of my list as well. Yeah. But, but one of the things I find very odd about them is that how close they go to getting in the way. In this game, there's quite a few tries scored because they don't stand behind the end goal. They stand in it and then shift their angle yeah, yeah, yeah. based on what's happening. So you get these times where the guy gets over the line off a short pass five metres out. And, the, and they're the, in there. The end goal touchdowns are very close to being in the way of the defender who's trying to whack the ball out or something or the guy trying to put it down. Like a couple of times they really have to move and they're usually fat old blokes. Like touchies, <laughs> like mid nineties touchies, and yeah, there's quite a few times they're not like markedly in the way of what's happening. Like if there had been a kick on a couple of these, there'd be every chance of hitting them. You know, like a yeah, few times true. they pass for a try. Where if they had chosen to kick, you may well have hit them. So they're very in the way. I'm not sure what they're doing, but I agree, bring them back and bring them back in tracksuits. Yeah, the, well, police, even if they police don't do it, I just, tracksuits. I just yeah. want old blokes in tracksuits in the in goal. I don't care if Ooh. they have any function. Um, just get yeah. him to stand there. I think it's, it's just it couldn't a good be look. worse than the bunker. No, it's got it's a good look for the game. I love it. Yeah. Um, now Wests, um, despite having conceded a line break off the kickoff and a penalty goal mm. attempt, they end up taking the lead uh, in the mm. tenth minute uh, through a penalty from uh, Andrew Leeds after some kind of helter skelter play where they start they uh, put in a bomb and then start shifting the ball around. Uh, they get a penalty quite wide. That's a terrific kick actually. Um, Very good from about maybe thirty meters out. Uh, out towards the touchline. Uh, Leeds kicked quite well throughout the game, but uh, this mm. brings us our first shot of Tommy in the box <laughs> um, and in in the coach's boxes. It was a bit unclear to me where the coach's box was. It seemed like it might be quite mm. a way away from the ground, but yep. um, he. It's, it's also the first time that we've seen him pull out a cigarette. Um, but, but not the last. But not the last. <laughs> and I, I put it to you, I reckon we get yeah. maybe six or seven shots yeah. of Tommy throughout this game. And on each occasion, he is either in the process of smoking, lighting up, or putting out a smoke. <laughs> yeah, it's all different smokes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it feels to me like this feels very late for coaches mm. to be smoking at the ground. Like this, and this inside. Is not a, this, yeah, inside. <laughs> this is not in 96. He's, he, is, yeah. he is inside. You're right. It, it seems very yeah. late in the piece. I, I would be surprised if there were any other coaches at this point who was smoking during the game at the ground. Yeah, I think that's right. 
Uh, it's probably, it, it may for all we know be a political statement, of course, that North had run the quit for life in, yes. in the early 90s and had been anti-smoking. So he may well have been pushing back against the political correctness and uh, the nonsense of the North <laughs> Sydney Bears in their quit for life campaign, trying to stop people getting cancer, um, infringing on people's right to sort of just like rack down lung bung- bungers. So, you know. Um, he gets through it, a few. It, like, fair income. He does. I, he does. His assistant coach is helping out too. I think Jesus it's the reserve grade coach in the box, yeah, helping out as well. <laughs> So, always got, well been, yeah. He's always got the walkie-talkie in one hand and the smoke in the yeah. other, and he looks much yeah. more convenient. You know, like it's just it's a wonderful look. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall uh, for the guy on the sideline who's getting the instructions for the walkie-talkie, like the sort of stuff oh, that God, will be coming imagine? from Tommy through yeah. the new piece, <laughs> like the sort of language and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Bark through your walkie-talkie <laughs> to go tell the boys. You'd have to just think, turn it off, wouldn't you? Just, oh, yeah, right, Tommy. I think you want the sideline trainer to be a bit of a natural filter and maybe filter out some of the message. That's yeah. Like, we'll pass this on, but maybe we'll keep what he just said away from the team. What you said, helpful. though, is so right. Like, yeah. Tommy has this reputation of being a bit of, like, like of being a wonderful player. and But but I think his, his reputation for, you know, hard drinking and hard fight and hard smoking has kind of overtaken a little bit his reputation first as a player. But then also as a as a coach, and I don't know, you know, there, there are a lot of funny stories about his coaching, and you know, sitting on the top of hills drinking cans while the players are running around him, and all this sort of stuff. But this is there are there are lots of coaches who have much more serious and better reputations as coaches who couldn't have done this. I think who couldn't have got this west oh, yeah. side. They just wouldn't have been able to harness this west side to to get where they got this season. And it all fell apart as it was always going to, to a certain extent, over the following years when they, they just got completely left alone by the league and, and were just left to rot and forced to merge. But that, and left behind by the Super League clubs and all this. But they, this is a, forget everything else, this is a, an enormous achievement of coaching, leaving aside all of the kind of fanfare and, mm. and, and, and mythology around Tommy. This is a, this is a real, it's a real achievement. It absolutely is. And look, they played that way. And at the risk of getting a bit jingoey, like they played like in a way that reflects Tommy in a lot of ways. Like they were so like that that they were almost overly enthusiastic sometimes. Like when they made defensive errors, it's because they were madly flying up a bit too much or, or with the ball they got a bit too bit. But they were so dogged and so enthusiastic and up and he got this team and he must have you know it's not a one-off game he's obviously done it for a reasonable part of the season to get them into the finals where they were just really using effort and enthusiasm to overcome what shortcomings they had and and he was absolutely a good coach a lot of people won't know he was involved up with Ipswich um, at the time Langer and Walters and that were coming through and they have a huge rap on him like Langer reckons he was one of the biggest influences on his career because people thought he was too small and not good enough and Tommy backed him a lot and taught him a lot about footy. Like, and, you know, Alan Lang is one of the best players in his position sort of ever. And he puts a lot down to having the early coaching from, from Tommy up there. And um, we have no idea whether it's hard to imagine, of course, Tommy coaching a, a glamorous club with lots of players. It's sort of the image is all wrong, but we have no idea what he could have done in different circumstances with a better roster or at a better time, because he was on a height that there's no coach in history that could have coached West from 95 to 90, sort of the late nineties. And done much better than this. They just well, could, you could put anyone in in the ninety-eight, ninety-nine. They just didn't have any first-grade players. Like, no, it's, because it's, anyone who was yeah. good enough to play first-grade yeah. was playing, like yeah. who was like at a really good level was playing for someone else because they yeah, either they, had been to Super League and yeah. and had a mozza or mm. were getting supported by the IRL and had a mozza. You know, like the yeah. end of story. Absolutely. That, um, 
yeah, that's right. I, I you know, I just think that um, for all the kind of for all the silliness and the kind of novelty of Tommy, there is under there there is a lot of there's a lot of really substantial football achievement that that gets lost a little bit in all yeah. of that. Well, I'll give you a quick example. I've just pulled them up now. Um, so. That year, one of the real ways they got left behind, in my opinion, was that when when the league in '95, the, the league took the opportunity of, of the Super League war when they started really poaching players assigned to the ARL, they took a real approach of using it to improve Parramatta, who yeah. sort of um, Parramatta had been really bad for a long time, and I mean this easily could have gone to West instead, you know, but they, they didn't rate or like West, and they used it to improve Parramatta. So Parramatta came 13th, and if you want to talk about how good the coaching is, you have a look what Parramatta had on the roster. I'm not going to yeah. read you every player they had, but that year they had Jim Dimmick, um, Gary Freeman, they had Peter Johnson, they had Stuart Kelly come in, they had Jared McCracken come in, uh, Justin Morgan played a lot of games there, Dean Pay came in, Aaron Raper played, Adam Adam Ritson played, Jason Smith came in. Yeah. Um, and that that's all the guys that came into a squad that have been really down and they finished 13th, you know, and compare that to what West had, all those players could almost be West's best player. Like, so you had these squads coming 13th that had much, much more talent in the roster um, there. And it, it is an example of two things, I suppose. Firstly, that how much West were hamstrung, but also the fact that, how much they were left behind was nothing to do with them and, and couldn't be helped. You know, the league decided that Parramatta was the team that was going to get pumped up when they pinched all the guys from the Bulldogs, for example. They were going to use that yeah. to build a Sydney club, but it was going to be para, not West. And it's an incredible coaching achievement. And, and again, we just have no idea what he may or may not have been able to do in different circumstances where if those players had been, you know, if they decided to pump West up by giving them these big ARL Well, but, but, and the stupidity of that, but I mean, the... the, the the, the long term, um, in the long term, that decision to leave West out to dry uh, has, you know, um, has been made to look a lot worse because the MacArthur region is now the biggest region, biggest fastest growing region in in Sydney yep. and possibly Australia, yep. um, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people moving out there, um, and they they have kind of fifty percent of a team um, in this this yeah, area. That, and- that should and be West producing a lot there. of footballers. And, you know, and West had gone out there, had the initiative to yeah. move out there and didn't get any support and ended up having to merge. Um, but no, no, anyway, yeah. I just, yeah, you're right. Um, so having gone 2 nil in front, uh, West then concede a few minutes later, uh, a try to Greg Florimer. It's a lovely try, actually. Mm. Uh, Mark Soden passes to Billy Moore. Uh, Billy Moore then passes to Soden, who's wrapped around, and he uh, makes a half-break and puts flow over from a handful of yards out. Um, the try is nice. It's converted by Jason Taylor, but it's most notable to me for a couple of things. Um, mm. First of all, uh, Sterlow saying he still believes the wraparound is the best play in the game uh, and that when in doubt, teams should just do the wraparound. Run around. Yeah, yeah. That, that was fantastic. That was absolutely fantastic. He's absolutely waxing about runarounds as the best play in rugby league. And I was just warm inside. And yeah. he's just undying backing of the runaround play. And it's still true today. Because if I, I see one, around. I don't know about you, but when yeah. someone does one now, I go off my head. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There are a few, there are a few little plays like mousetrap and that sort of thing and the runaround. Yeah. When someone does one, you go, ah, oh, this is someone. This is someone for the black book. They've got the right values. Yeah, exactly right. It's always got to be a slow forward who plows back <laughs> towards the ruck and just pops it back to the guy who's wrapped around to. Yeah. Bloody beautiful rugby league. You can't run it with quick players. It's got to be a slow, cumbersome forward that that's does right. the, the flop around the back. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So that's the first thing. And the second real noticeable thing about this try is 
again, Sterlow, and I, I say this with a bit of melancholy because he's just, uh, th- this is the first year we won't be hearing him and he's, he's thrown in the towel uh, with respect to commentary. Um, but this is just a superb freeze it there. Oh. <laughs> just a classic of the genre. There's arrows and circles. It, it, looks like he's, it looks like he's trying to ride to the Zodiac Killer. It's unbelievable. It looks like algebra. Like, oh, that looks like an algebraic equation that I can't solve. Like, there's so much scribble, arrows, lines, and circles on that screen to, to illustrate what is a basic runaround play, um, yeah. which is just that the guy runs back in and the guy catches it around the back and passes to a guy in a bit of space. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And it, it just holds, not that he ever doesn't, but he just holds so true to form. Like, it's exactly, yeah. if you freeze it there and the play continues, continues. Not a word out of place. Uh, he just, I, I'd love to know when he said it for the first time and decided that that was the form of words he was going to keep using. Oh. Because you're right, I've never heard him do it without saying those two no. things. As we yep. freeze it there and then describe what happened and as play continues. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's perfection. And this is, this is a, as you say, absolute textbook version. Um, mm. Norths then get a penalty from the scrum against the feed, which you mentioned that. I've got to say... Mm. You watch these games and you, you know that something exciting is going to happen and you know the kind of headlines. Mm. Often the things that really thrill you are the minutia, like yeah. things like scrums going against the feed. Um, it's the loose head and feed, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, and so in the 17th minute, Jason Taylor kicks a penalty goal to go 8-2 in front. Um, and, you know, Wests have got their gloves up, but all signs really say Norths are going to win them I and they, they, yep. they've got the flow of the game. They're, they're dominating. Mm. The field position, and they are. They, I mean, you know that they sort of generally well, speaking get better players, and, and everything seems to be going their way. Well, if you want uh, an illustration of that from the commentary, I have this oh. very circled, and I hope you noticed it too. But seven, we're at eight to seventeenth minute. Yeah, Ray Warren with one of the earliest I've ever seen. Yeah, needs to be the next to score. Incredible, seventeenth minute. Floored by this. Yeah, yeah. I, this but, is. I, I mean, think you're right. Fairness, I think combination of yeah. of. Scoreline plus time, yeah. it is the most kind of premature yeah. one I've ever heard. Yeah. And like it's not as if they're 18 guess... nil after 10. Like if it's 18 no. nil after 10 minutes, I can understand. Or if it's yeah. 8 2 with 10 to go, I can understand. But, yeah, but yeah. Or like, yeah. you know, but like 8 2 after 17 minutes is astonishing. Yeah. I think whilst I, we, we have to call it for what it is, I think it, it goes to what you were saying about it. it just, I suppose, if, if someone listening hasn't watched the game, that the fact that he said that probably illustrates what, what Morgie just said about how much the Bears did have the run of the game. Look, it really did yeah. look like they were a bit too good. Taylor kept kicking deep into the 10, pinning them there, then they'd get the ball back on halfway sort of thing. It wasn't obvious they were going to score, but they just looked a step ahead of everything. And you thought, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're probably a little bit too good th- here. Yeah, and what Rabs, I think, was getting at a little bit is that West had to do what they actually did, which was just keep pegging them back and stay with them. They couldn't If they'd yeah. let the Bears get a couple of tries in front, that probably would have been too much oh. to... Taylor too wide to climb. Him to death, and yeah, yeah but yeah. they don't do that, and and the Maggies stick with them. Uh, and in the 29th minute, Andrew Willis scores a try uh, to get them to eight six. Leeds kicks the goal for eight all. The try is a lovely bit of football, I must say. It's Willis passing to Langmack from about twenty meters out, and Langmack, beautiful, throws the dummy, goes through, sort of makes a half break, and then while falling, hoiks it out the back for Willis to run through and score. It's a beautiful bit of footy from Langmack and the first of uh, yeah. the, the first try of three that he is the he is the the, the, mm. the chief kind of architect of 
Um, Lovely by both of them, isn't it? That yeah. him, him looking for the support once he goes through, and, and Willis has to back up, back up yeah. that play and, and push up. You have to. He's thrown a pass, but he doesn't clock off, and he pushes up. And it, um, there was a lot more common back then players pushing up and always being alive, and that's why that's a try. Just people wanting to keep pushing up and getting the ball. Mm, that's right. It's it's not the best thing that Willis does in the first half, though. Um, in the 26th minute, he does what I would have to describe as one of the most magnificent face massages on uh, <laughs> on Ben Iken. Um, mm. He just it's it's just so blatant and so pointless. Mm. Iken's on the ground having been tackled, and Willis just comes in and just mushes the hand into his face <laughs> in you front of everyone. No, 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 no yeah. sanction from the from the referee. Get on with it. Um, I saw a kid do that once in a very very late. I mean, the face massage sort of started to go out of the game. I think in the early two thousands. Shame. Was, yeah. It is a shame. And I was playing for my school team in a in a local kind of Cessnock. Um, Cessnock Primary School Carnival and had a kid who didn't play footy but had obviously watched a bit, just completely face massaged another kid on the right on the sideline in front of all the parents. <laughs> like it was, but really bluntly, like just mush cop that. You know, fantastic. That is uh, good. Now, 35th minute is where the game starts to catch fire a little bit because Josh Stewart uh noted loose cannon. Uh Having just, just come, come on. having just come on, um, <laughs> comes in with a wild swinging arm over the top on a West player, which doesn't really connect, which is lucky because he may have been decapitated. Um, mm. But when the player objects to the swinging arm, uh, Josh Stewart punches him uh, once when he's on the ground and then two uppercuts once they've stood up and sort of gone toe-to-toe. Um, mm. he, he is sent to the sim bin. Can I suggest not his go? Um, yeah, I think that's <laughs> fair. Yeah. The- <laughs> Uh, one of the big great things about this is because he comes in with a big swinging arm, then isn't punched. Like the other guy objects yeah. a bit, but he doesn't punch him. Then, and he decks the guy on the ground who he's swinging arm, then gets up and just gets him clean on the mush repeatedly with punches. And then the commentary around it is Sterlow and Fatty reckon he's unlucky because the hit didn't really connect. And like as Fatty calls it, it was some arms flailing, but they didn't really connect. And Sterlow goes, yeah, that's right, blah, blah. They're really a bit defensive of the binning, but like you can't isolate the incident and say that the swinging arm wasn't that bad. You do have to account for the fact that he also clobbered the guy in the face four times afterwards. Yeah. So like, for no real, in, in retaliation yeah. at his own sort of act of at his violence. Own yeah. So, yeah. so like them really defending it as not a opinion <laughs> for the swinging arm does ignore the several clean punches, really good ones. He gets in. Yeah. Um, a couple of things on Josh Stewart just quickly is, um, Firstly, it's like for those like who don't know, uh, he is um, Nathan Cleary's uncle. Uh, is he really? Sister. Yeah, didn't you know this? I didn't know this. Um, yeah, God well, Almighty, well, that's well, good. Well, if I can backtrack for you a little bit, um, he's one of his sisters married Ivan, and I thought that was common knowledge, but he didn't. didn't know. No, because I went to go back and have a look at his jaw, which was getting out. It's an absolute carbon copy of Nathan Cleary's jaw. Oh. They called him the jaw out there. The old Bears fans call him the jaw. And if you look at his jaw, like it's unbelievable. It's exactly Nathan Cleary's jaw. I urge you to pull him up. You're kidding. I'm going to do that right yeah, now. This but, is fantastic. But cop this. Yeah. He's got two sisters. You want to talk dynasty? I thought that was common knowledge. His other sister uh, married Jason Deeth, Dr. Deeth. No, Jason so you Deeth. Footballing dynasties. You go to that family Christmas party and you've got the uh, Josh Stewart, the Clearies, and Dr. God Deeth. Almighty. That's heritage. That for, for a combination of well, um, people forget of Dr. family life. Yeah. Don't they? Imagine your sister's marrying Ivan and Dr. Deeth. Wouldn't you be stoked with that? There's a real sense. Yeah. Freedom. 
You've got to be careful can... too, having seen Josh Stewart play. I don't know if you'd want to be necessarily – you no, want his permission he... before you started courting his sister. Like, oh. you want to get on his wrong face. He's like a mad. Oh, God. I'm yeah. just looking at the photos. You're right. There is a real – yeah, there's a real jawline there. Yeah, that's fantastic. I had no idea. This completely passed me by. I didn't know anything about this. I didn't realise that no, there was well, a merging of the Stewart and Cleary bloodlines. But uh, and the doctor. I tell you what, it's bloodline. a fair case of rugby league eugenics, isn't it? Goodness me. Well, that's, it's, it's, it's good funny. breeding. Well, it's funny when you think of it because you think of uh, how big and muscular um, Nathan is for a halfback and how Ivan yeah. really liked that. So it's sort of this combination of Ivan's kicking and sort of flair and then maybe getting a bit of the Stuart sort of bulk. <laughs> it's a shame it's he didn't get a bit a more of the Stuart kind of madness. You'd love to see Ivan sort of start throwing up, uh, sorry, Nathan start Nathan, throwing yeah, up the cuts. Yeah. And, um, it's also yeah, a shame that Josh Stewart is the, isn't the coach instead of Ivan. That would be a much <laughs> this is more yeah, perfect world. Be much, yeah. yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Because he was um, quite loose. He, he was... He was he was quite a reasonable yeah. player, but he was quite loose. He famously he was. Uh, he, was, he broke uh, Troy Fletcher's jaw in a match, I think, the following mm. season or the year after. Yeah. Yep. Se- second loosest player on their bench, but yeah. Um, yes, and that's right. I suppose the other thing on Josh Stewart was just I couldn't ascertain whether he ever came back on because after the sin bin, mm. he wasn't they, – they used that sin bin to bring someone else back on, noting it was a close game. And they yeah, they brought on uh, Pomery. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to need to watch this back to see if he ever came back on the field because if he doesn't come back on at all, that would be like a minute on the field, three or four clean punches thrown, a high tackle <laughs> and binning, and like as a stat line, yeah. possibly two tackles, like possibly about two tackles, a hit up, like one swinging yeah. arm, four clean punches and a binning would be a fantastic stat line. I'll, I'll go back and have to um, fact check that. I didn't notice him again though. I didn't notice him again either, and I didn't see a lot of Danny Williams either. I was I was ready. I was I was looking forward yeah. to seeing him, but he I didn't see. Mm. I'm not sure. If he ever came on yeah. Well, indeed. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. Um, anyway, that, that incident, that, dare I say, unsavoury incident, uh, yeah. brings about eventually a penalty, uh, which Andrew Leeds is able to convert to make it 10-8. Yeah. And that's how it stays as they go into half time. I've written down here, Norths look too classy early. West stuck with yeah. them, and by the end, we're, the be- we're having the better of it. They did start to get a bit of a foothold in the game, West. Um, yeah. When they and, got momentum, they made the most of it all game. Whenever the momentum came, it felt like they really did ride it and make sure they got – every time they looked on top of the game, they came away with some points. Yeah. Um, they had little waves here and there, and it wasn't the majority of the game. But when they had those waves, they tended to score a try or get a penalty goal or both and make sure it, it counted on the board. Yep, mm. that's right. Uh, and so we come back to the second half. Rabs throws to Blocker for the halftime talk, and Blocker's not there, um, which was a nice <laughs> touch. Oh, he doesn't have the yeah. headphones on yet, they say. Um, that was um, particularly good in there was that uh, I think by the question they ask when they finally get him on is the eighth time in the game that I count that they ask him what, whether the breeze has changed since the start. <laughs> Keeping in mind that the game only goes for 40 minutes each way and is therefore played over about an hour and a half. Like why yeah. they are so obsessed with the idea or why they think the wind would have had multiple changes in pace and direction in that time. I'm not sure, but I, and well, I don't do. know why Block is the man to talk like yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah. I, it is. Um, I did see a bit of uh, uh, a bit of talk of the wind when the field goal goes over. Mm. There's a bit of a sense that it was picked up by the wind and that the wind had made the difference in getting it over. Um, yeah, make of that what you will. Yeah. Uh, mm. In the 44th minute, North's level scores at 10 all. It's a penalty in front. After some wild play from North, they heap of like overhead passes and throwing the ball backwards mm. and forwards and all this. Uh, and then we have our second incident of kickoff hijinks, which I love. Mm. Well, third, really, I suppose. We've had the, the clean break from Soden, the bang into the crossbar. 
Mm. And then this incident where Soden runs back to catch the kickoff over his head like an AFL player or like a cricket mm. outfielder, um, doesn't catch it and instead just kind of parries it into Paul the hands rifle of style. Paul Rifle style over mm. the boundary in the World Cup semi-final, parries mm. it into the waiting arms of, uh, of, of Brett Dallas. Uh, yeah. He catches it cleanly and runs off like nothing ever happened. It's very unusual. I've never seen that happen before. Never seen anything well, like it. Two players on the same team off a kickoff when you have the opportunity to stand wherever you like shouldn't really end up like in each other's pockets each other. like that. Yeah. Yeah, pockets. Um, yeah oh, look, there was a bit going on at the start of that half. Like, I think <laughs> uh, I just wanted to mention very briefly that at the start, there's an excellent vision that goes for about 15 seconds of actually watching close up of Jason Taylor artfully mounting the sand. Oh. The second half. And I just wanted to mention that because it really go, it goes to show he's an artist at work. Yeah. If you really look at it, he spends a lot of time crafting, moving, and shaping, which is why he was such a successful <laughs> kicker. Yes. Um, so I think if you were looking for a clinic, if they say, and I'm not saying that I don't support this, if they were to say tomorrow, outlaw kicking tees and demand that, you know, for the good of no, the game, everyone went back to sand. No, I'd yeah. be sending footage of this to clubs and saying, this is how you put sandcastle no, this is like Bringing Jason Taylor yeah. out of retirement. Yeah, well, I think he's coaching the Bears at the moment. Well, there you go. No, I mean to yeah, play. Um, but yeah. Oh, to play, yeah. Well, yeah, why not? But um, certainly if you couldn't, the, the, for the 15 clubs that couldn't get Jason Taylor, um, once he's signed with one of them, you would be getting footage of this and saying, this is your gold standard. It's an absolute yeah. art. Beautiful work. Set, yeah. Um, and I suppose the relevance that you mentioned the Bears try was just that it, it, Stewart's still off the field. So this is a, um, the try essentially now takes place with a 12 on 13 um, and it happens with a 12 on 13 with West attacking the try line. So West put in a crap grubber kick near the end goal and it sort of bounces around and they take off and end up going coast, coast, coast. So, you know, those sort of tries often really kill you in close, like the amount of times that if you're in a close game and you can see the try where you grubber into legs or spit it out and someone goes 100 metres, it's just free points. Um, particularly when you're in a 12 on 13, this is just a really big moment again against West that you don't usually recover from. Well, and, and you're right, and, and West's going into the game, you think, you know, West are not, and, and even watching it, you think they're not getting the better of the flow of the game here. They're going to no. need, maybe they're going to need something like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're the ones who are going to need some kind of slightly fluky kind of 100-metre try against the run of play, and it's North who get it when they're a man down, and this is just mm. in the 46th minute. Um, yeah. It's it's a it's West 10 out on the attack. It's Willis who kicks the ball, just grubs it straight to Ben Eichen, who... Um, you know, has the presence of mind to find Florimo. Florimo runs upfield, got a good sight, Greg Florimo in full yeah. flight, goodness me, uh, and finds yeah. a great ball to Nigel Roy, who is well, uh, yeah. who is a bit too quick for Brandon Cost and me, Pearson. Uh, and it looked for all money like he was going to catch him, but he never does. Roy just gets away uh, and gets uh, gets over to score. Taylor converts, and it's 16-10. And as you say, the Bears still down to 12, but have scored six points to two. Oh, sorry, eight points to two. Uh, in that ten-minute period, uh, and and you're right, it's a real it's a real moment. We go ah, this this is going to be too hard now. Like you can't, it's going to be hard enough holding them out on their own steam. You can't be giving them points like that, um, and you can't fail to take advantage of a of, a, of an extra man for ten minutes. Uh, but yeah. after some some classic Sturlow field goal speculation, um, yeah, about the Bears possibly being scarred from going up seven against Cronulla a couple of weeks ago and losing. Um, That's a stunner, isn't it? I just want to really reflect on that. The the concept that they'll be too scared to score more points because when they were up by six and ended up up by more, 
another week, they didn't win. So what yeah. was the suggestion they should hold the margin? I think that's um, it I think that's what the... has been unhelpful. Yeah, that's right. So hashtag signalled an end to the scoring. I that's think right. That's the real gus yeah. areas. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, West just don't go away. Fifty first minute, mm-hmm. Aziri Lang try, uh, and this is this is great play. That it's a break from. It is. It's a great break from Pearson off a little pass from Langmack right on halfway. Now, this that happens on the right-hand side. Pearson gets the ball, bursts through, ends up kind of running sideways and up a bit and getting and passing to someone who is tackled on the left-hand side, maybe 15 in from touch. Uh, if and, that, yeah. If yeah, that, if. and all of a sudden, having thrown the pass to put Pearson through, Paul Langmack is at first receiver on the blind side mm. and is there to put a pass to Ziri Lang who crashes over over the top of Brett Dallas and gets the ball down. And does well to get it down too. Does yeah. really well to get it down. It's a really good finish from Aziri Lang. Um, and it's 16-14 with a kick to come. This is this comes out of nowhere, uh, but I have to make a note of the effort made by Langmac mm. to throw the pass and then get himself all the way from the right-hand side of the field on halfway to be in position at first receiver on the left-hand blind side um, with it one play later. Oh, it's unbelievable because you need the skill to throw both the passes he throws, but you, the second one can't happen without the effort. He a, has a great game and he's not finished. and He's clearly so skillful and good with the ball, but he's also old and not fast or any of the things. And it would be so easy for him not to do the second one here. Like I get that he was still a good enough footballer to put guys in holes, but it would have been so easy at where he was in his career and everything else to just drag his ass there and not chase because you're right. He's about to the right of the post in the midfield. Beautiful. It's a classic football from that. I love when someone's back at the angle, it hits the flat pass to the center midfield coming back at the angle and, and, and Coston's quick and he bursts through and he takes off down the field. And as a lock forward, in your thirties, and you know, not this real is quick his fourteenth. This is his fourteenth yeah. year of first grade. He was only thirty-one, yeah. but he'd been playing since yeah. he was yeah. seventeen. Yeah. He played a lot of rugby league, and like he wasn't quick to start. Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> he, he didn't have any pace to lose by sort of being on the wrong side of thirty. Has just like had to get all the way down there, drag himself down to a 10, 15 meter blind. He, the only people on the blind were him and the try scorer. There was no one else down. Yeah. That's how narrow yeah, yeah. the, blind the try scorer was. The left um, center, like he he was supposed yep. to be there because that was his position. Yeah. Yep, Lang-Mac and you have no reason to be there. Yeah, no. You have to see the play. So, like, the skill to throw the first pass, the skill to realise the blind side was on and to get on the blind and run the play, and the effort to actually mm. get there to do it, all in combination are just brilliant. Wonderful ball player. We saw it all game. Um, he, I mean, not talk about him now. I mean, he, he sets one up later. So he finishes this game in a game they win by a point with three try assists and four line break assists, playing lock forward. Playing lock. I mean, you he know, is – you say yeah. playing lock, but, like, when you watch their team, he is – Yep really in, in attack. He, the he's the, half, he's yeah. the halfback. Yeah. He's, he's the playmaker. Yeah. Like he, he is the guy yeah. with the yeah. class to get get it at first receiver and turn it inside to someone to score mm. or put someone through a hole. And, and that's what he does. He, he obviously plays like a forward, makes a lot of tackles and casts yeah. the ball up. But he, he is the one who's picking the lock when they get within within mm. 20 metres of the try line. He's the one who opens them up. And um, yeah. it, it's, it's, I, I couldn't believe... Um, how good he was with the ball. We'll talk about the, the last one that sets up in a minute. Those but ones, like, um, my yeah. point is that like he is 90% of halves in the NRL right now are not as good at creating space and putting people through holes as he is as a lock in 1996. No, not at all. Um, but that was, you know, and that wasn't uncommon at the time. I mean, Jason Smith um, played a lot of lock forward 
um, in this era and set up a lot of tries and um, we were better for it. Brad Fittler, um, a lot, you know, a lot of good judges reckon Brad Fittler's best football was at lock forward, being a combination mm. of being able to do that and use his power, um, his incredible power as an actual <laughs> running forward. Um, uh, you know, you had Jim Dimmick, um, played a lot of five eight as well, played a lot of lock forward in a similar vein to this, a ball playing lock. It was really, and it's come back a little bit. It, it's not quite the same, but it's just coming back to the NRL the last few years as you start to see uh, Murray's, Yo's, and Radley's and everyone make line breaks and set up trials. And it, I think it's a really good development um, that that's coming back because we lost a lot of that in the era of three front rowers. Um, mm. I think it was a shame. I think that this was really good football, and I hope we do start to see more and more of those guys start to set up tries from the lock forward position and pass the ball a lot because, yeah, it, it, it changes your attack so much to have multiple outlets i think and having one yeah. half a side like they do in the game makes it very difficult that there's really going to all come off one guy um i know as a newcastle Knights supporter it's terrible watching the knights knowing that if they don't pass it to caelan ponga then no one's going to do anything a lot of the time there's no one else not, <laughs> even the halves can't do it but there's, there's there's so many teams that have one or guy that you know is going to get the ball and has to pull it out of his backside and come up with the big play but teams yeah. back then and a lot of the good teams had multiple outlets and multiple guys who could be the focal point and play it could be the lock forward and, and the halves of the hooker. It often wasn't the fullback like it is now. That's gone the other way. But those, you, you had to have that. And, and I think it's a really key point to making yourself unpredictable and, and opening stuff up where teams can't just guard one or two players. And, yeah. and it's great. And he's fantastic at it. And just because you're a big bloke doesn't mean you don't have that class of passing. I think there's guys in the game that probably could do this that have had it nerfed. Um, Jake Trevojevic, yeah. James Graham, there's guys like that probably could have, done everything Langmack done, but have had it a little bit pulled out of there, like made to just drop that a little bit in favour of the standard, yes, you play this position, you should just hit the ball up? Yeah, I think that's um, right. And I mean, yeah. but the other point is that West's, <laughs> the evidence of this game is that they probably didn't have a lot else of this in their side. And if it hadn't been for their lock yeah. Um, yeah. opening up the opposition, they, 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 they probably, I mean, they wouldn't have won this game, obviously, but they probably wouldn't have been. I don't know how many times he did things like this during the course of the season. Yeah. But it was, it was my No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. In this team, he probably is nearly their only outlet. But again, playing lock makes a difference that teams would line up and be watching the halfback and watching the 5-8. Yeah. And him being in, in a different position allows them to to have a separate point, you know, that that makes it a bit easier when teams are worried about the halfback or the 5-8 because that's what you should be doing. You should be yeah. rushing up yeah. on the halfback. But you'd be better on them. You'd be better off just rushing up on Buddy Langmack. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, um, Bl- Bl- Goddy was good. I can't talk enough about how good yeah, he was in this game. Yeah, he was fantastic. Um, man yeah. of the match by a mile. Uh, yeah. What follows this try is something that I, and I, I'm happy to be contradicted here, I'm not sure I've ever seen this before. No, me either. Yeah. Um, Andrew Leeds takes the conversion, starts it out a bit to the right, brings it around, all hunky-dory, looks like it's going over. It hits the crossbar, but it hits the top of the crossbar. Like it lands Mm. on the crossbar. It doesn't plough into it from front on. It drops right onto the black dot from Mm. above Mm. and then bounces out. I've never seen that. It was extraordinary. Yeah, no, I've never seen that before. If you're watching it on TV, it just looked like one of those perfect sideline goals where the really pornographic ones where you kick it, it starts wide and starts hooking back and you can all just look away because he's nailed it. But because that angle, you can't see depth. So you just think, oh, he's absolutely nailed that. Yeah. And then it just bangs off the top of the crossbar and doesn't go. And, of course, with the wind, keeping in mind they then go on to kick a a 48-minute field, field goal, goal. <laughs> yeah, in the direction. So it's also very odd that with, with a breeze that you'd be able to kick it that high and, and, and have it die. 
Unbelievable. on you like that. Uh, yeah, it, it was very unusual. It certainly threw uh, the great Ray Warren off. Well, he, um, he'd called he, it as I rattled. Yeah, he, yeah. he said, and I think if I, you know, um, it, 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 I think it's a cautionary tale for commentators everywhere that just because it's online doesn't mean it's going over. Um, you, you, yeah. you know, goodness me, you can't go the early crow. Now, uh, the, the uh, North score about eight minutes after this, but before that, I did just want to mention that Harvey Howard uh, oh, yeah. absolutely flattens Brett Dallas with a swinging arm. Uh, and there are two things Decapitation. to note about this. Yeah, it's mm. a pot like gets him right on the jaw. Whack, cop this. Um, two things to note about this. First of all, no penalty, um, mm. even after Brett Dallas quite clearly knocked out on the ground. Uh, and second, despite being completely knocked out, Brett Dallas stays on the field and uh, plays out mm. the rest of the match. Um, and I just draw, I just draw a contrast between what we, uh, what we see now, and uh, it's extraordinary how long, I suppose, how long this went on. Um, yeah, you know well, how late yeah. it was that that players who were knocked senseless were allowed to just get up and keep yeah. going. Yeah, well, I, I get that. You know, to a point, you just accept what you see because we're used to seeing that. We never thought it was odd until. It stopped, and now it looks very odd. But at the same time, like, I don't know how much research at brain facilities and high-level scientists um, were needed to tell us that this wasn't a good thing to happen. Like, when you look at it and you looked at what he happened, like, how much research did we need to say that that doesn't look like it's overly good for Brett Dallas? No, that's (laughs) right. I just possibly not good for him. What's just happened? It's not good for anyone. It was awful. It's awful to watch little animals. It's dreadful. Yeah, because he's he's a fairly fairly slight bloke. Oh, my God. Anyhow, a couple of minutes after this, um, without the assistance of a penalty, there's a great bit of football from Norths. Um, yeah. They they start with on the right-hand side about 40 metres out. There are two long passes to Michael Butner who goes through. He finds Sears about 25 metres out with a short ball, and then Sears turns it back inside to Chris Caruana, who's backing up to his right. Um, it, it, it looks beautiful. It's very slick, quick passing, changing a direction. Caruana tears off and scores in the corner. Um, it's great support play. From from both players, I was um, going to say that. Yeah, you don't see that as much anymore. Again, to get back to what I said in support before, the multiple supporters. So, a guy makes a break, and there has to be two passes post break for the try to be scored, and that's missing a lot now. Is that that effort and commitment to backing up the guy with the ball and giving him options all the time? Is that a lot of the, you might find someone back the first guy up, but there's very limited times these days where you'll see them be able to throw it puck twice after a break because people are streaming through both sides, giving you those options. It's really yeah, and, gone and out when, of the game a bit. And when yeah. Sears when Sears gets it, he he's got he's got the centre and the winger to his left. Or he might not have the centre because that's yep. Carolina, but he's got two players to his yep. left and one support player back inside. Um, and he's looking for them. They're always looking for it too. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're in there going, who can I get the ball in a better spot than me? And the other guys are trying to give them that option. Yeah, um, it's those basic footy. fundamentals, I think, like those really um, – the more athletic the game's got, you get a lot of big, strong guys that get through on their power and their athleticism and those little things that people had to do when um, the game wasn't as big and strong that you had to do to make it. Mm. Um, have just Those fundamental skills have just dropped off. Uh, a little bit, uh, I guess. I mean, it's, it's like, I suppose, if you go looking at basketball, if you're 20 foot tall and can dunk everything, maybe you don't get all those fundamentals of shooting and <laughs> spacing as well. Yeah. And it's a bit like that. The bigger the game's got, um, you know, there's a lot of hunking and powerful centers and stuff about and powerful backs that don't do these basic things that these 90s guys who are nowhere near them physically always did right. Yeah, they learned to do. Yeah, yeah that's right. And yeah. space is a big part of that, finding where space is and, and how to use it and all that. Um, the 
Uh, Taylor attempts the conversion and pushes it a mile to the right. I suspect not not assisted by the wind, but uh, that makes the score 20 to 14. Obviously, it becomes quite an important miss, albeit from the touchline. Uh, but after this, West start to look a bit ragged. Um, yeah. and, and, and it does feel like it's heading to sort of gallant defeat territory. Um, they, I mean, Norths go 90 metres off the next set. Um, and then yeah, West yeah. run into, West run into touch. And, um, there is a bit of a feeling that they're heading towards a very noble and tough loss to a side that are just better than them. Even a blowout, it looks like one of those ones where you could say, oh, how'd your team go? You say, oh, they, they could have lost at 30 to 16. And you go, oh, they got flogged. And you'd be going, oh, no, they were in it most of the night. It just got away late. Like, you know, those games where if you're yeah. there, you know, they put in, but they look shitty in the in the paper. It could have easily yeah. been that. I thought they might run away with, like, watching it, you're going, oh, like, this looks like they could score two or three times in the last 15 minutes and make this look like a, a pasting. Well, and I was always, yeah. I, I feared for West even more when uh, after about, 63 minutes, Craig Wilson came onto the field. Um, yeah, bringing bringing yeah. bring his inimitable um, chip and chase values from the forwards. Um, we didn't see any of it in this game, unfortunately, which was yeah. which is our loss. But uh, then yeah. in the 65th minute, there is a penalty for a strip 35 metres out from the north line. And yeah. West's opt for the penalty goal to go four behind. They go 20 to 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought was, Funny I mean, you don't, you don't see a lot of this. It turns out to be an extremely good decision, but uh, at the time seemed quite strange given they were six behind and hadn't really spent a lot of time mm. at the north end of late. Um, but I suppose in defence of the call, they were under a bit of pressure at the time and mm. maybe getting a bit tired and getting a bit ragged and maybe just having a minute and a half to watch Andrew yep. Leeds pot a penalty goal might not have been the worst thing to just settle them. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it, you know, obviously it all turns out okay. It was an odd one, yeah. yeah. That that is the moment after he puts that kick over uh, is when mm. we see Tommy throw us throw a cigarette butt to the ground and pick up the walkie-talkie, um, and then presumably light one up. Um, <laughs> but but it's it's indicative, I think, of of how West just won't go away. That I think the only time in the game where Norths score twice in a row is um, is possibly when they're down to 12, when they kick a penalty goal and then mm-hmm. score a try and convert. And other than that, it's always back and forth. Yep. Uh, but the moment that really turns it in West's favour is a couple of minutes after this, when after a kick from halfway, so Newton puts quite a nice kick down into the corner that's heading towards touch. Mm. It takes a bit of an awkward bounce. And Matt Sears just ties himself in knots, decides that he's going to try and keep it in. The ball picks up a bit more speed than he thinks it is. He ties himself, sort of turns himself around, ends up putting a foot in touch, then picking it up, and it's a West scrum 10 metres out. Um, mm. Forced to a certain extent by some really good, and we talk about motivating the players and, and how keen West were, this probably doesn't happen if not for the pressure put on him by Aziri Lang, who is tearing down after him to try and um, pity yeah. him in the corner. But it's a pretty big gaff from Sears all the same. Yeah, he tangles himself in a knot in the first place, and that's his own error. But he ends up, after he's done that, he has to play at the ball because of the chase. Like, after all yeah. of that, he, he t- tied himself in a knot, but after all of that, he should have been able to either let it go out or safely run it back in. But Langer chased so hard that by the time he'd recovered from his sort of stuffing up, and it bounced a bit wonky a few times. You know, you go to half go at it, and it bounces funny, and you balk yourself yeah. and pull out. All that had happened. And then by the time he was ready to pick up the ball it still should have been able to go out or he could have run in field, but Langer chased so hard that he had to play at it the last second after 
he had to pick it up or Lang was going to get yeah. it and he could only go out. Um, what was interesting about that was, of course, that we very nearly got an example of one of my favourite and obscure rules here because um, Sears was almost out already when he touched it. His foot was, was up and it becomes heavy speculation from the commentary team as to whether this would actually end up being a North feed um, on base, oh. of course, on the rule that, yeah, it gets talked about really heavily because he, he, he's tangled himself so badly that he's almost already out when he touches it. He's just infield and puts his foot down a second later. Um, so he goes very close to avoiding the whole thing by being already out by accident. And of course, <laughs> if he's already out and touched it, then they would have got the, um, the feed because he's yeah. considered to be in touch, um, which never comes up. Tom Trevojevic did it last year and everyone lost their mind. The Channel 9 commentary team didn't even know about the rule. That, yeah, so Blake Ferguson did these it. Days, yeah. Virgo, against, yeah. Um, against Brisbane, yeah. memory serves, yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't happen much at all anymore to the point that people barely know the rule. But, of course, if the ball's moving and you're um, you, you're out, then you're considered to be out, so you get your, your team to feed. And people actually should do that more. But Yeah, um, well, I mean, if he, yeah, he probably should have done it do. here, right? Like, a, Yeah, yeah. Um, no one thinks of it. People forget no. the rule. But I was really glad for that obscure rule to come up. Um, and it does yes. change the game because, in my mind, they, they were almost dead. Yeah. And instead, they they score. Um, mm. And, again, it's uh, it's Langmack, the playmaker. He go, he gets the ball 10 out. They're attacking the line. He gets the ball about 10 out, um, draws a couple in, turns it inside to, to, to Brandon Pearce, and it crashes over and scores. Uh, it's 20 all. Willis kicks the goal, 22-20. Tommy lights up a new smoke and they're yeah. 13 minutes away from winning the game. And, and again, if, if you didn't know that it was Paul Langmack and he, and he didn't have the body of a front rower slash lock, yeah. Um, yeah. you would think that it was a half setting that try up because he does the halfback thing. All the best halfbacks mm. do this more times than they do anything exciting. They just get the ball close to the line, yep. draw someone in, count the numbers, bang, inside to someone quick, over you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, I think his body shape and, and definitely his head give away that he's not the halfback. I think you can make that assumption on what side. Can you tell me, Gary? Um, he's got the best head in the history of the world. Isn't that fantastic? I was trying to think to myself today, what was yesterday's hero? What was it? Like, what was it about? I know it was his segment on the footy show, but, like, what what did he do? Did he interview I people? Really what he did. I think the premise no. basically was look at this bloke's head, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much, um, and rightly so. Um, yeah. But you're right. There's a lovely bit of football. Um, again, lovely halves play. He's. Um, I just wrote it's Langmax world, and we just live in it. Is my note. <laughs> I, was, I was thrilled by it. Um, nice run again uh, by Pearson. Um, yep. Nick Coston. Uh, yep. He is. He, he's really powerful in this game. He's a really mm. rugged, um, powerful runner of the ball. And it probably comes down to the, the fact that he's been involved in 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 a big break, and then that one, and Langmack's been so involved. Um, I guess it comes back to the, again that West don't have as many good players as Norths, and they don't have as many good players as teams like Newcastle and Parra who didn't make the finals. But they made their players count. They, they got Langmack. If you look across the game, Langmack got the ball whenever they had momentum. He got the ball. And whenever they were in the 20, he got the ball and he found ways to get, you know, like Costin's the right centre and he gets the ball to the left of the post here. So they've got this guy who is a weapon. They don't have 10 weapons, but they've got him. So they get him in the yeah. game. Yeah. All these his breaks and tries are never at centre in this game. None of his good stuff happened at right centre. Langmack gets the ball on the right-hand side, the left-hand side, the middle. When the stuff on, they, they use what they've got. And that is often a sign of very good coaching is that we've got these guys and we don't, Norths might have 10 players that hurt us and we only have three or four that hurt them, but you don't, you only got to score four tries, three or four tries to win a game. So they get what they've got in good enough positions in the field to give them chances. And it is um, something that a lot of coaches do badly is that they just go, well, you're the fullback or you're the whoever, so you stand here 
and and that's all 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 you're going to do. So you get games where you might have a really good edge back rower, but he only gets the ball in that exact edge all the time, and you run yeah. all these plays to crapper players instead of moving him around and getting him involved. So this game, Tommy Tommy makes sure, and and the, and the team and, and the halfback to be fair is a young kid who has to be involved to make this happen. They they get the ball to the guys that could set up tries and score tries a lot, and that's how they get them all. Well, that, that's know? right. Like it's good um, coaching. It's good. It's good play. A bit of background for you on on Brandon Pearson, uh, who Near later Coston. went on to be known as Brandon Coston. Uh, yeah. He, I remember him signing for Cessnock in the really? early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a picture of him in the Cessnock advertiser pouring a beer behind the bar at the Cessnock Leagues Club because he yeah. the deal, you know, with these these kind of yeah. teams with Leagues Clubs, he he signed a deal to play for the Goannas and work at the Leagues Club. And yeah. this, and I always wondered what happened because he never played. So he was announced yeah. as having signed, and then I used to go to the Cessna, and I was like, "Where's I thought we signed Brandon Costum. Where is he? I was probably yeah. the only kind of nine-year-old at the ground thinking that. Um, <laughs> but because I was quite G'd up by this. Any time an NRL yeah. player who you knew yeah. off the telly yeah. went and signed for the for Cessna, you're like, oh, you beauty, we're on here. Um, yeah. Anyway, I've got to the bottom of what happened. So what happened is he he signed for Cessnock, played a trial game, was working in the bar pouring beers for Gary Johns, mm. and then was he was offered a he was offered a um a job with well offered a spot with Huddersfield in the English Super League. Was he moved, moved to Huddersfield, jilted the Goannas, went and played for Huddersfield, and then the following year got signed for Bradford and played against Andrew Johns in the World Club Challenge. It's huge, isn't it? Is that a step up or down the Super League from Cessnock? From Cessnock? Oh, well, that depends who you ask. But um, yeah, yeah. So he uh, he went from he went from it's very lining up very in the NRL to playing in the World Club Challenge. It's funny, isn't it? You'd think that the option of playing overseas might have come up before he settled to playing in local comps. Like I would have thought so the, too. But the NRL had... that someone's interest might have come up, but he wouldn't have necessarily needed to show form in a trial for Cessnock to get Huddersfield. Well, he got the thing is, he got. <laughs> remember when? So he was tied up. He got booted from Canberra. Yep, during for, the BK incident. Yes, yeah. he got he got done for taking taking ecstasy in a nightclub, and so Not maybe following it. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah? He. I um, think that was Kennedy didn't swallow it, but yeah, was it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's easily done. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he. He ended up um, he ended up moving to moving to England and not playing for the Cessnock Goannas, um, mm. and you know that possibly so was that extended... straight from Canberra to straight from Canberra to that's, Cessnock. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a funny time in the game, isn't it? Because at that point, you, you got away with a lot more. You'd think that one incident with an ecstasy tablet wouldn't necessarily lead from you going from the Raiders to having no contract in the NRL. Well, there's a lot of teams as well. <laughs> there's um, it's funny that that one thing. And it was only players that come, they come back from a lot worse, is all I'm saying. You know what I mean? In terms of co- controversy, you tend to do uh, be able to do a lot worse than that and still find a find a gig. Yeah. So it says here, after the drugs furor, which also involved current kangaroo Ben Kennedy, Coston knew the NRL didn't have enough evidence to suspend him. Yet he still told his club, came clean to the judiciary, and voluntarily set out the rest of the Raiders' season. Um, he um, and then he he ended up leaving the Raiders and. Moving to uh, moving to Cessnock, but anyway, Coston uh, has even convinced Huddersfield's biggest off-season recruit, Ivan Cleary, of the merit of the uh, of the cliche of taking the positives because he says the weather's worse, the food different, and maybe you can't pick that many positives out of, but it's what you make of it. Uh, and it says Coston has even convinced Huddersfield's biggest off-season recruit, Ivan Cleary, of the merit of that cliche. 
Um, so there you go. The word, see, this is it all comes back around. <laughs> five five degrees of separation to Josh Stewart. There's also yeah. a wonderful mention of Robbie Paul in this article. But anyway, I'll leave that for another time. Um, <laughs> we might cover that. I'd like us to one day cover that Bradford versus Newcastle World Club Challenge final. Um, yeah, because it's peak. Um, it's peak Pauls. Paul Mania with the volcano. With the volcano out on the wing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I've got us distracted there, but I just thought that bear, that ball mentioning. Um, as I say, Willis kicks the goal. It's twenty two twenty, but with about with a few minutes to go, a booming kick downfield from Taylor puts West under pressure. Um, the Bears get it back um, from a knock on, and go through the hands. Dallas appears for a second to have the line wide open. Um, mm. And Leeds comes across and bumps him into touch. Really good try saving tackle. Really mm. kind of really hard, desperate um, chase to bump him into touch. Um, mm. Now, there are no points until the 78th well, minute just, from just here. But I, really quickly yeah, on Leeds, yeah. I, I just I thought I, he had a really good game as well. I just wanted yeah. to bring him up. I haven't had a chance to bring him up. And I, thought, I, I think just. I, his effort there and the way he saved that try, it comes back to the way what fullback, the fullback position has changed and the values of what we value when it has changed. I, I think I've spoke about it before, but if you look in this game, he's constantly talked up for his positional play, for getting the kicks on the full. He gets cheered every time he catches a bomb and stuff. Yeah. And like, he just reeks of safety. Like he shuts down attacking raids. He gets grubbers out of the in goal. He catches these things and everyone cheers it. And it's so different now. Like at a point now where you're more, you're more hammered if you drop the ball. Like, rather than thinking he's a god for catching them all and taking all the grubbers, it's more likely you get hammered for missing one yeah. now. And you, you're not expected to be st- like safe and reliable is like the minimum to even play. And it's become like a star position. It's become like your heart. You want a safe halfback. You want a halfback who does all this yeah. flashy stuff. And it's become that a totally different position where now you've got absolute attacking giants of the game there that have to blow the game open and be the guys that win comps. And back then um, it wasn't, it was such a different position where you'd really cheer these guys for their kick returns and taking all the bombs and shutting down tries. And he was a real quintessential from the Brasher and O'Davis and Gary Jackie era Mm. of, of, of that sort of player. Um, It really was almost a carbon copy of what was a fullback then. Yeah, that's right. And, and he sort of, um, yeah, and chiming in in support play and all that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost like um, they, they, fullbacks in that era were almost treated more like soccer goalkeepers. Than, yeah, that, you know they were almost kind of a part of you know what I mean. Like they were the they were the yep. last line. They, they their their image yep. in people's minds was of a of a defensive player and a and a yep. player that was that primarily was responsible for saving tries. Um, saving than, tries, diffusing bombs, shutting down. Yeah, attack. yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, and that those were the things that people saw as important. But he does it here. He puts Dallas into touch and keeps yep. uh, keeps the keeps the score at twenty two twenty, where it remains until uh, the seventy eighth minute. Before I mention that, I do have to mention the penalty that is blown uh, against David Fairley for a hand between the legs. Um, it's hard to Real talk great. too much about mm-hmm. this without showing the footage of Steve Georgialis appealing for the penalty by replicating what he was doing and, and putting his own hand between his legs uh, with the other hand up at the referee. We'll put the video of that up on the uh, on the page through the week. But I did think it was a good uh, look. 
Oh, yeah. Look, firstly, I just put squirrel grip exclamation mark in my notes. Yeah. You've seen squirrel grips in these days. He just really puts his hand in there. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and grabs. And the guy's on the deck in a lot of pain, um, understandably so. And George Arliss, like, like, he's miming to the ref what's just happened, standing as the hooker is sitting behind the guy that's been tackled and is, like, miming basically the reefing of a hand between legs and, and, and heavy grabbing of the testicles and mm. et cetera. And um, it, it, what he's doing, and we will put that video up, is very much if you did that at someone now, like if you pointed at a copper and did that or a teacher <laughs> or did that outside of school, you'd get done for like there'd be a charge. Like, yeah, you don't want to register or something. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. 100%. It's quite, it's quite, <laughs> it is something. It's extraordinary. I, like, you're not sure yeah. whether he's threatening the referee or, or miming out what. <laughs> I've got to say, by the way, I wasn't expect. Yeah. I didn't expect this from David Fairley. Da- David Fairley always, to me, in my mind, was, was always, and I think this is because he came to play for the Knights at the age of about 200, yeah. but he, he always yeah. sort, of, sort of the kind of grand old statesman of the game, you know, kind of yeah. Yeah. like really hard working, hard yards, tough forward, no no rubbish in his game. And that, yeah. And, and people who watched all the way through the 90s may scoff at this, because as I say, my memories of him are just at Newcastle, really. But, um, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't expecting him to go ploughing in with a big squirrel grip, but uh, yeah, good luck to didn't him. miss. Didn't miss. No, he didn't miss. Yeah. That's right. Uh, there is a penalty on last tackle blown against Andrew Willis for an, the extremely daft act of holding Matt Sears down. As I say, on last with three minutes to go, mm. um, North's attacking to try and win the game. West's desperately clinging on to try and hold out and decide to give two points away. To Jason Taylor, twenty-five meters out, reasonably wide but very kickable, and Taylor puts it over to make it twenty-two all. Having come back to dare I say haunt uh, the Maggies, uh, it's a mm. very silly penalty to have given away by Willis. And had he not, uh, yeah. had he not done what he goes on to do, would have been really the villain of this of this well, possibly draw. Um, it- that penalty comes with a really wonderful bullshit chant from the crowd yeah. too, like they, they, they go, which you don't see enough anymore either. No, you just don't. It's pretty blatant too. You sort of shit, just over and over. No, I'm back in the crowd on this one. Yeah, um, they're just like the crowd because it is a fairly obvious, but you know, it was a penalty, and the crowd is just in unison, just complete, <laughs> like a repetitive bullshitting chant, like over and over. And that comes up on the screen. They moan even more. You know what I mean? Like the replay yeah. comes up, and they're moaning even harder. It's fantastic, um, fantastic theatre, and you don't again, you don't see enough. Raw, you don't hear a lot chance. of that. You're no, right. Middle class people, mate. They're not as willing to just bellow out sort of bullshit at the official. That's true. You're absolutely right about that. that. Yeah, it's so, a, it um, is. It's a, it's a class issue. The fundamentally correct decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got to dig in. You've got to let them know. Yeah. You've got to build yeah. pressure. You've got to do your bit. Um, so that, so it's suddenly 22 all with two minutes to go. Uh, Jason Taylor has a field goal shot uh, from halfway, which is caught by Leeds on the 10. There is a mad swinging arm from uh, from Craig Wilson which attracts no sanction. If anything was going to G the, one. Yeah. If anything was going to G the crowd up, like keep in mind there's a minute to go and or a minute mm. and a half to go and West's a, like a scores level. If they get if they get a penalty here mm. and boot the ball to halfway, they're a sort of fairly good chance of getting a shot at field goal from a reasonable position. And the ref just yeah. doesn't call it. Like Wilson just comes over the top and clobbers no. leads. If it happened today, and this is a, I guess another reflection on the change in the game, if that happened today, Andrew Leeds would not get up. Or whoever yeah. the fullback was would not get up until the penalty was blown or the replay was shown or something because yeah, it's a shocker yeah. and it would be a penalty and everyone um You go to the bin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he'd probably go to the bin for that. Like he really gets him. Um yeah. but uh, um, West would have had the yeah. opportunity to go and kick the field goal. 
Um, the, the other interesting thing about that sequence is, of course, that if you were going to back that um, the someone at West and Jason Taylor were both going to have 50-metre, like, Hail Mary <laughs> shots, that who would you have suggested? My, and I, I'm not blaming him because it was like one of those things. Like There was a couple of minutes left, so you just got to have a shot, and it's very hard to kick him from there. But if you were going to say they're both going to get one shot from halfway and, like, one team's going to kick it, you'd possibly be on Jason Taylor, I reckon. I think that's right. <laughs> He's, that's right. Yeah. Well, but, again, this is where, I mean, some things, there are some things in, yeah. in football as in life that simply can't be explained yeah. by, uh, you know, and and – and this is one of them because what happens from here, once that penalty is not given, I mean, the chances of West getting up the other end and doing anything are like fairly limited. There's a minute and 20 to go or something. Their best hope is to hang on to the ball and, and not give it back to North for Taylor to have another go. Um, yeah. And instead they work at the halfway. There's a neat little run actually by the, by the halfback, Newton, who does make yeah. a contribution to this because he just half breaks the line yeah. Um, and pushes the the North's defence line back a little bit, gets them a quick play the ball in the sand heap of the middle of the field, like right on mm. halfway where they kick off from, which is all, which is all sand. Um, and it is here. This is it, it is one of the best field goals I've ever seen. It's one of the most astonishing ones I've ever seen because it's not like it's well and good Cooper Cronk doing this, mm. but. Andrew Willis in the 79 and a half minutes of football I'd seen from him so far hadn't given me any indication that this was his game. He, the kicks that no. he in general play, most of them either went dead or into the hands of Ben Eichen for them to score up the other end. And he gets this inside his own half. I can't stress this enough. When he catches the pass, he's, in, yeah. he's over the halfway line. He takes two steps to get back into the north's half, launches it into the sky, it never really rises much above crossbar height. It's a very unusual no. It's not one that goes up and just drops over. It sort of stays at a pretty steady level. Yeah. And just keeps going. And you're watching it go through the air and you're thinking, hang on, this might go over. <laughs> and it just keeps floating and keeps floating and magnificently clears the bar by about, you know, six inches. Uh, Rabs announces it. Rabs just can't believe that it's gone under. It's just too, I think, I suspect it was just too unbelievable. And so he just says, oh, it's gone under. And Willis is celebrating and the in-goal touchy weighs in and they award the field goal correctly. Uh, and and it prompts one of the great eruptions of emotion from a from a football team and their supporters. Uh, it, it is It is truly, it is just miraculous. Yeah. It's, um, it's the best I've seen. But he, as you say, he starts in his own half. He he's not in the middle like either. He's not in centre field. No, no, no. He he's quite wide. He's got, yeah. yeah. It starts at the Optus Vision in Signia. Um, <laughs> if there was ever an advertisement for why you should buy Optus Vision, it's that like you might miss this. Yeah. yeah. Well, well if indeed. You get, if you don't subscribe, you might miss this in future years. That's what you're way up. And he, he, he lands, he gets into his own half with his wind up. He doesn't look like he can kick field goals. Certain people look like they can kick him, and he's fairly chunky yeah. and does not look like he can kick him, right? No, and he, and just he hits it. Yeah. And it doesn't look like he hit it sweet. Like, no. You know, just a pure strike you expect to see. It looks like he's just a park bloke who's whacked at it. And it, yeah. it, like, it doesn't look smooth. He didn't look like he had any poise. He hits it. And then you look and you're like, that's just, it just keeps going. Like, it just keeps going and going and going. And it's a bit like when you see the front on view, it's, it's a bit wobbly. And the thing that does it when it goes over is it's so unexpected. That's what shocks everyone because North haven't made any attempt to stop him kicking it because it doesn't <laughs> occur to them that he's going to. 
Um, yeah. And the commentators are a bit stunned and don't really, even Rabs, who was very good then, sort of misses the moment. He, he does. He quite, he sort of, they sort of yeah. lowball it a little bit. They're so jarred. Yeah. They don't kind of, like, yeah, they do really lowball it. Um, well, there's no build-up to the moment. No. What usually happens is you're like, he's tackled on four, Willis is in the pocket, like they're going back to him. You usually have the wind-up mm. and build to the attempt. But here, they get tackled, they just throw it to him, not in position, on the left side of the field in his own half. And just without anyone really thinking about why, he just snaps it. And he didn't get deep. He didn't. Well, he wouldn't have wanted to get deep. He was deep enough. But he was like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like there was no poise or setup. No, there's and no North desperate, despairing fingers kind of trying North to charge the him. ball down. Yeah, yeah no, because North didn't think he was going to kick it. I, I don't think West had set up for him to kick it. The commentators don't expect it. So there's no build up. And then you're like, oh, shit, he's had a shot. Oh, Christ, it's going. It's yeah. going. It's going. And it, going. It's, it's, it's almost one of those afterthought ones. Yeah. It's one of those ones that you go, well, there's a minute to go and there's no golden point, so we may as well. And like yeah. it's so, there's 45 seconds left. It's so it's such an unlikely attempt that if he misses it, which he probably should have, everyone goes, "Oh, he shouldn't really have taken that. He's going to give North a chance here." Yeah, because if he, he should have landed on the 30, yeah, he miscues <laughs> it and lands it on the 20. Yeah. North's have got four yeah. tackles when he could have drilled it into touch. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. That's how that's how much of a punt this is. It's just look up. Um, oh, look, we may as well bang over it goes. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's followed, of course, by something I noticed all game, which was that whenever those points scored, the team that conceded them rushed back to halfway and tried to kick off before the other team was in position. Yes. It happened a few times in the game, and they caught them out a couple of times where um, the one that hit the crossbar in the first half, I should have mentioned, they run back and kick, and a lot of the West guys weren't even ready or, or in mm. position um, for it. And, and this is followed, but the drop goal goes over, and Norse absolutely hammer it back to halfway. I presume the ball boy can just throw them the ball and they can go immediately because they literally – are on halfway. Well, they, were held, West is just they, were, celebrate. they were held somewhat by the fact West was still on, were kicked from halfway, so they were sort of already yeah, there. They were already there, yeah, which is amazing. Look, it's like you don't even have to go get the ball that's gone out. It's like they just fang them a ball. Mm. And within 15 seconds of this going over, Jason Taylor has tried to grub her for himself. Um, I didn't even get to see the vision of he kicked. I assume he did the short kick, but whoever was there might have just done it. Um, but it, it, they, they go the short kick off and it goes about four metres. Um, not the required 10, it's unfortunately. One, it's a, it's a wonderful coda. It's a, such a good coda to that incident. Like, yeah. it's so much better that that happened rather than that being on the hooter, you know? Yeah. Like, it, rather, the, the fact that there was still time for that six metre kickoff. Like, it, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, kick obviously doesn't make it and West see down the clock. But, yeah, they rush back. It's literally, I reckon, 15 seconds from the mm. goal. Norths are kicking off. The camera misses it because it's still trying to celebrate and show the, the footage, the the, um, the replay of the goal. And Norths are kicked off. Yeah, and the, the, he grubbers for himself, directly grubbers straight for himself. No high hook kick or anything, just to go and go. Um, presumably because West weren't back. Um, stuffed it up. And then West finished with the ball. And as you said, the flood of emotion, the crowd is all over the ground. It is just swamped with um, I don't see a with, lot of this. Magpies like, fans. This is yeah. not a, this is not a, this is. They go feral. It's so not a rugby league thing really in no. in my lifetime to see crowds rushing onto the ground. Um, no. They, they really do. It's like you see it a bit. Um, you see it a bit in English soccer when a team gets promoted, wins a game to get promoted. Um, mm. or wins the league or something, you might see everyone jump over the fence and pile onto the ground. Um, you used to see it in, in cricket in the in England in particular in the 90s. Um, yeah. But, like, I can remember the 99 World Cup, people would run on the field at the end. That was about yeah. the end of it. Um, you don't often see it 
in rugby league and it seems to just be this kind of spontaneous uh, rush of people onto the ground. There are thousands of people out there. It's extraordinary. Um, it's quite kind of I, – I got a bit emotional watching it. You know, it's quite um, – I don't know. It was quite – there was just something really glorious about it, um, and partly knowing what comes after this for Wests. And, but, you know, you see the footage of Tommy up in the ground, in the – in the box, kind of still with a smoke in his mouth, getting hugged by John Singleton, and you know Singo's up yeah. there in the box. <laughs> I did. I hadn't seen Singo until that happened. I was like, "What are you no. doing up there?" You pillock, you know? the two, he was in the two GB yeah. jacket. I he think. was yeah. too. And <laughs> yeah. Rabs, a beautiful moment of commentary from Rabs, where he says, "Put him down, Tommy. You don't know where he's been." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just. It, it's there are so few times. I, I was thinking about this last night after watching this. I think what it is, there are so few times in in football and in all sport really, but particularly in 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 rugby league and where the right team wins. If you're yeah. the sort of person, if you're the sort of person who who likes to see the smaller clubs win and you know all of this, that it's so often that that happens. They might compete and they might have the odd day, but it's very rare that you see them win when it really when it really counts. It's also yeah. very rare that Norths aren't the right team, but. Um, as a side note to that, I'm not suggesting that Norse were this great behemoth and that they deserve to be cut down or anything like that. It's not like, you know, uh, it, it's not like they'd beaten Manly or something, but it's just so often that... No, but they're a better team and, and, yeah. Yeah, it's just so often that circumstances conspire to give one of the one of the smaller clubs a, 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 a day, you know, and this is yeah. kind of as good as it gets. Like 50-metre field goal from your bulky 5-8 in the last minute um, is sort of perfect. It's, it, it doesn't get any better than that. And yeah, it it it, it was yeah, it was well, it was just thrilling. It was it was absolutely astonishing. It's interesting, even looking at at, at Willis. I've just clicked him up now. You know, a lot of day had like look at his career. He played seven games in '93, ten in '94, ten in '95, twenty-three in '96, and ten in '97. So this is the only year he plays more than ten games in a season. Yeah, you know, like then he has this, you know, and and without that moment, yeah. And if I can roll out a very tired cliche, I dare say if he went down and tried to do this with a hundred times, you know, they did this with Greg Norman. You know, the bloke, Larry Myers, right? Beat Mm. Greg Norman in the '86 Masters, I think it was. Mm. Chipped out of the chipped out of the bunker and landed it in the hole in one. Yeah, to 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 win the playoffs, and they took it was sixty minutes. I think it was took Larry Myers down to the same bunker, gave him a hundred golf balls, and said, "Can you do it again?" He couldn't do it, like, <laughs> but did it in the Masters to beat Greg Norman. And yeah, <laughs> there's a real sense that if he took a hundred footballs and Andrew Willis down to that spot at Campbelltown Sports Ground, he yeah. couldn't kick it again. You know? No, no, and maybe nor could anyone else. <laughs> no, like he could take is, Jason yeah. Taylor down yeah. there, and he would have yeah. he'd be flat out kicking five of them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just it, it's the there are just occasionally these small moments of grace in 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 sport that if they didn't happen it, it you wouldn't watch because you you, yeah. you watch mismatched games purely on the promise that once every couple of hundred times something like this might happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was just fantastic. I, I felt the same as you and that ending and seeing him all swamp on and it's one of the last enjoyable days they'd have had you know there's obviously a couple yeah. more in the coming weeks but there's the, the last really like we're going to do this we're going to get in we can make a run through this because they're knocking off the good teams here like they're knocking off teams up the top they're going we can yeah. get in and we can make a run in the finals and we're going to have a real crack here and after this there was just not much hope again that's one of the last mm. great days for them as a 
as a club where they could have looked and said that things are looking bright and they would have, you know, unfortunately didn't happen, but you'd be able to, they're entitled to think they can keep these guys together and they can make the finals the next year and the, the year after that and stuff when you're watching how they're going. And it's um, awful that it didn't happen, but it must have been wonderful at the time, a really good moment to support them. Yeah, it must, it must have been a, uh, a a hell of a game to have been at. I can't imagine. There would be people out there who, who have been... Who, who were there who who still remember it like I, I would imagine that if you were a west supporter um this would be one of oh, the yeah. kind of one of yeah. the days that you um that you really hang on to uh after they yeah. after they went out of the comp I, I wanted to share with you I forgot to do it earlier um some reminiscence unless there was anything else you want to say about the ending before I before I move on no 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 that's totally fine I think I've said almost everything I want to say so um, why don't we finish off with yeah the the quote yeah, so this is from Paul Nichols, friend of the show, who commented on the Facebook page earlier today. And this is, he just, I suspect, uh, uh, egged on by our, our doing of this match, just shared some reminiscences about the, about the 90s at Campbelltown Sports Ground. He says, uh, 90s Campbelltown Sports Ground, as you exit Lemire Station, if you go over the bridge, you could feast at the Paul Langmack-owned Hungry Jacks for a pre-match meal. Now, I'm going to tell you, you and I have had, uh, have had some great nights uh, visiting the Ben Kennedy owned Guzman Y Gomez franchise in Hamilton, yeah. in Newcastle. Um, there's 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 really no greater thrill than that for us. I can tell you, going to Paul Langmack's Hungry Jacks franchise at Lumia, um, a couple of flame grilled whoppers and a, you know, and a, and a, I, what do they I call think, their ice cream at Hungry Jacks? The Storm, yeah, yeah um, something like that. I th- I think there's a real market for you and I in the future of delving out into only eating at places owned by ex footballers. If we could only start <laughs> eating it at. At particularly takeaway restaurants owned by, <laughs> particularly franchises in particular yeah. owned by ex rugby league Didn't players, it? I think that there's something to be said for that. Does Luke Devico still own the cafe in Derby Street Goldbergs. in Newcastle? Yeah, Goldbergs. I, I'm not sure if he still owns Goldbergs. I did eat there when he when he did own it. Though. I bet so you I'll did. Add that to my, my I reckon you'd have been and ticked off. I reckon you'd have been a real regular at the uh, the old Bull Cafe as well in the in the old in in the grandstand at the Knights Ground. <laughs> Yeah, um, obviously, <laughs> it was owned by uh, Devico and I think Craig Smith. Anyway, yeah. Um, exit the station towards the stadium. You enter the wasteland known as Arana Park. As you walk towards the entrance, you will see graffitied on a graffitied on a power station. West's is best, which was a very simple way, a very simple but effective way of showcasing the feeling anticipation West of the Magpie fan. Inside, you had the one stadium on the west. On the north end, I think you might mean the stand. You had the stand on the west side. On the north end, you had the long jump pits at a grand. Oh, so the long jump pits is in long jump, the Olympic event. Mm, yeah. At a grandstand that appeared to have been made of plywood, but the hill on the east was where the fun was. Full strength beer and no RSA as punters filed in from the Lumia Hotel. As the game kicked off, it became a battle within itself. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful reminiscences of, wonderful. Uh, of of Campbelltown Sport. We've been out there a couple of times. Uh, never. Uh, mm. Obviously, never did we. Know, I, I never saw the Magpies out there. I think you you went out there a couple of times for Maggie's games. Yeah, yeah I, I've seen the Knights play the Magpies out there. Yeah, yeah, it was a lovely yeah. place to go. There was a lot of disputes and uh, a bit of crowd violence every time yeah. we were there because we'd sit in the section with the Knights lower grade players and the, the, a lot of the crowd had been throwing so stuff. Pick at on them. Yeah, yeah, and they'd give it a bit back. So it was all it was, it was all good stuff. <laughs> really good stuff. It, yeah. I still maintain they do the best hot. They did the best hot dog. I don't yeah, know if they okay. still do, but in in the nineties they had the best hot dog of any rugby league stadium or ground in the uh, ARL, me NRL. So you can take that for what it's worth. <laughs> I think the last time I went there was nineteen ninety eight with uh, Leo Dinova. I went there early to watch Leo Dinova play reserve grade for the for, Magpies for West, against yeah. us. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Last time I went out. Uh, for a Knights game, I've, of course, been with you to rep round in recent years. Yes, I went out there to watch the Knights play the Tigers there, the, the match that got Nathan Brown sacked you know, when the Tigers yeah. were, I think, 30 nil up at half time. was awful. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm glad I didn't go to that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you and me both. Um, <laughs> now, I, I know we spend a lot of time uh, on this on this podcast uh, reminiscing and, and kind of uh, grieving the loss of defunct clubs and merged clubs and all this, but, you know, there is so much... The, 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 there's so much uh, kind of cultural heritage tied up in these places. They're, they're, yeah. it's, it goes, you know, it, it, it does, it matters so much to people. And I hope that uh, I hope that anyone listening to this has been able to enjoy uh, a few kind of reminiscences about the West Magpies of the 1990s. Up the Maggies. Up the Maggies. Uh, we'll be back soon on the Rugby League Cemetery. We're hoping, we're, we're expecting that there won't be an eight-month gap between this episode and our next one. Um, now that Gazzy and I have been able to put our differences aside and, uh, uh, you know, move forward. So uh, we'll be back with you soon on the cemetery. Um, but but we hope you've enjoyed this episode. And, of course, uh, if you're on the Facebook page, let us know uh, what games you want us to cover. Uh, and you should also follow Gaz's vintage jerseys uh, on the Instagram website um, and uh, hassle him about it as well. And you can see his Gazzy's truly obscene uh, collection of jerseys, mostly from uh, defunct and merged clubs of the 1990s. Gazzy, any final thoughts? No, love the game. Loved watching it. Uh, can't wait to watch another one. Um, hopefully, again, sorry to Bears fans, we will do some some victories in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we, we will. We will. We should do. We should. Yeah. I, we, we'll, we'll, we'll put a call out to Bears fans. Which game do you want us to cover that, that isn't yeah. the kind of um, crushing um, universe conspiring defeat? Um, that seems only yeah. fair. Until next time, Cemetery Freaks. Bye for now. Well, we just heard from the sideline that Willie Newton has kicked two field goals in the last two weeks. I don't know whether he'll get close enough. It's a reserve game, of course. Here he is taking the ball into the opponent's half on the last tackle. Well, that's the fifth tackle gone. Now Willis. Willis takes the shot. It's got the leap, has it? No, I think it fell under the crossbar. No, he's given it. He's given the point to Andrew Willis. So the Western Suburbs Magpies have grabbed grabbed success in the final seconds. The coach's box, the fans on the hill, and the kickoff hasn't gone 10.